We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... John McAfee's Insane Life. Who is John McAfee? He's the founder of the McAfee antivirus software company and the inventor of one of the world's first antivirus programs that you probably have installed on your computer as we speak. He's a self-made millionaire, programmer, businessman, new age wellness guru, dog lover, classical composer, prostitute enthusiast, drug dealer, gang leader, internet influencer, cryptocurrency expert, and to top it all off, 2016 presidential candidate. In 2008, he fled the United States to escape prosecution for his shady business dealings and used his massive wealth to hire a private army of gangsters and corrupt cops to basically become uh, the weird de facto slumlord king of a small village in Belize. He also, more than likely, murdered a man in cold blood in a brutal execution-style assassination and got away with it scot-free. So we turn now to the strange tale of an American tech mogul at the center of an international murder mystery, a man whose name is synonymous with security, John McAfee. He built a fortune creating the antivirus software, but now he's being chased by police across a tiny country in Central America. Seven months ago, the Belizean government sent 42 armed soldiers into my property. They arrested me and kept me handcuffed in the sun for 14 hours. They have attempted to charge me with every crime, ranging from running an antibiotics laboratory without a license, and most recently, the murder of my neighbor. Well, John, you are certainly a legend in my book, and I think a lot of uh, people in the industry certainly respect what you have to say, and that's why we've gone to you about all of this. Is it a real gun, though, or is it, it like an air rifle? believe me, it's a f***ing real gun. Let me make this perfectly clear. I had nothing to do with the murder of Gregory Fall. You're asking the most ridiculous thing. This was not, you have to admit, that it's, it's not ridiculous. $10,000 in Belize is a lot of money for 30 minutes, you know, who will go against that? So I started to think what I can improvise, what lies I can fabricate to make it credible for her. So whatever I told Nanette on that interview was a pure fabrication of my imagination. I mean, it's always there, it's watching. It's been watching me for years. Every time I turn on the fucking computer, it's there looking at me. You know, something went wrong. 15 years ago, I had some beautiful software and they took it over. I don't know what they did. It was like the time I hired that Bangkok prostitute to do my taxes while I fucked my accountant. I mean, I don't know. This is probably not relevant. I'm sorry. This that's is okay. this is the tangent that I told you yeah, I would go on. That's okay. That's part of there's the just, there's, 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 there's a lot of tangents, people. We all do it. Oh, there's just, there's so much crazy shit. There's so much crazy shit that I don't even know you know, it's hard to know where to start. <laughs> Are you a madman? 
Are you paranoid? Are you an entrepreneur? All of the above. Act one, a fistful of DMT. What is the cost of freedom? Not the disingenuously nationalistic, corporately constructed false idea of freedom packaged and sold to us here in the US and abroad by lobbyists and politicians like a new brand of toothpaste to keep us hooked on the military industrial complex, but unencumbered, naked, true freedom. The pure utilitarian bliss of living only in pursuit of what makes you happy and never doing anything you don't want to do. The proverbial Ron Swanson being asked if he has a permit and instead handing over a slip of paper that says, I can do what I want. It's something we associate with the quote-unquote American dream, but in many ways it's the opposite. The American dream in reality involves saddling yourself with massive amounts of debt, anchoring yourself to a job, home, and family, and ultimately being a functioning, valuable member of society. The American dream sells the illusion of freedom in order to hypnotize you into becoming a cog in the machine of industry for the benefit of massively wealthy oligarchs. And that's fine, I guess? Or at least we've gotten used to it, and it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. But some people just simply aren't satisfied with that status quo, or, you know, way more dissatisfied with it than all the rest of us are. You have sovereign citizens, commune societies, expatriates, tyrannical animation studio founders who form their own privately owned theme park governments, your garden variety libertarians, never taxers, freegans, and those homeless gutter punks who choose to live on the streets despite the fact that they could go home to their parents' mansions at any moment. But these are all mini-bosses you have to fight on your way to the Ganondorf of don't-tell-me-what-to-do-himself, John McAfee, who seems to have taken the phrase give me liberty or give me death as a challenge. But as might be the case, McAfee's story serves as a cautionary tale that the price of true freedom could possibly be too high. Because in his pursuit of it, he spent much of his life as a prisoner, on the run, in hiding, unable to live freely. John McAfee was born on a U.S. Army base in Cinderford in the Forest of Dean, Gloucestershire, United Kingdom, because apparently the name of towns in the U.K. are a paragraph long. In 1945, to an American father who was stationed there and a British mother before moving to Virginia to spend his childhood. When talking about his personal life and past, he speaks exclusively in could-be's and who-knows, so it's kind of hard to know which details are true and which are part of the kayfabe tapestry of his chaotic brand of raconteurship. But he claims that he was raised by a viciously abusive alcoholic father who ended up committing suicide when he was 15. So from that point, he spent a tumultuous childhood in Virginia and delving into the local drug and alcohol scenes, but also easily excelling in school, barely studying or putting in any effort to ace his classes. Eventually, he went to Roanoke College in Salem, Virginia, paying his way through school as a door-to-door magazine salesman and earning a bachelor's degree in mathematics in 1967, despite being a full-blown alcoholic by that point. How hard do you think being a door-to-door magazine salesman is? Like, that seems really hard. Yeah, I mean, I well, number one, I think it varies from personality type to personality type. Like, there's no way in fucking hell I would ever do that. I, that sounds like a nightmare to me. I do, I do not want to go walking up to people's houses and cold knocking on their doors and asking them to buy my shit. Um, I think there are probably people who you know, have more outgoing personalities and maybe find some kind of thrill from the challenge of trying to like sell people on something or kind of charm someone into it's almost like a a low stakes form of manipulation, knowing that you're in a disadvantaged place where you know this person does not want to talk to you and does not want whatever you're selling. And then just the challenge of like, 
but I'm going to get him. And, you know, it seems like John McAfee is probably the type of person who would be into that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I, I, I kind of have thought about that before. I mean, maybe there was a time in history when it was normalized enough to where people just walking up to your door and trying to sell you shit, you know, back before, you know, there was department stores on every corner and all these things where, you know, you wouldn't be that bothered by that happening. But you know, I just can't. It just seems like door to door sales just seems like it just seems like one of those things that never nobody ever wanted happening. It's like your your job is just starting from a place of like 100 percent of the people that you try to sell to are going to hate you and just not want you there. And that sounds awful to me. And also just the fact that like magazines are so non-essential. Like, I guess it's one thing if you're like selling knives or vacuum cleaners or things that can wear out and need to be replaced. But like, does anybody really need a subscription to Time Magazine? I don't know. Although I do remember one time when I was younger, when I was in like high school age, there was a door to door because I feel like one of the holdovers of door to door sales is the Kirby vacuum people. They come door to door because they're like, I'll demonstrate it for you. They fucking vacuum a little section of your carpet and show you that it's like the color changes dramatically or whatever. I remember that Kirby vacuum salesman came by and he was this really kind of like charismatic upstart kind of like really jovial guy. And uh, he, you know, talked my mom into letting him come in and demonstrate it. And then he also just as a side hustle of trying to sell the vacuum, he like pulled out a comic book that he made and, and like tried to sell it to us. And like he was like he was like doing double duty going door to door in his job of like selling these Kirby vacuums. But then he was also like. I'm a I'm an independent comic book writer and artist and I I have this book that I've self-produced like do you want to buy it or whatever and it was I don't even remember what the book was I I Damn I, it After school already developing his natural charisma into a powerful weapon he talked his way into a job at the Missouri Pacific Railroad in 1969 programming train schedules He claims to have started experimenting heavily with LSD at this time and would drop a tab of acid in the morning before going to work and making the train schedules Eventually he was fired after he one day snorted an entire bag of DMT a potent hallucinogenic drug disappeared from work and was found hours later completely naked hiding behind a dumpster in downtown st louis i can't even i don't even like i don't even have a frame of reference really for that like what is a bag is it like this big is it like this big is it like this big like how big is a bag of dmt i mean it's impressive regardless of what it is but it, i still just have no frame of reference for what the fuck that is i'm sure i mean it does nothing i read specified like grams or ounces or anything like that i think i think when we did the evil within episode like it actually specified how much meth he was doing per day and it was some specific gram amount <clears throat> nothing i saw said that because honestly a lot of this stuff is just like him to tell like, this is just John McAfee like spinning stories about himself. Um, so number one, some of this could be highly exaggerated. And number two, uh, there's just not a lot of value, valuable resources for getting accurate information. Uh, so I don't think I ever read anything that was like, this is the specific amount. But uh, I'm, I imagine that it was probably, you know, like the, what you picture of like a bag of drugs being one of those little one of those little baggies. That's like, you know, what you would what what in weed you would say it was like a dime bag, which is just those tiny little little uh, baggies that you just the, the thing you would see in a movie or whatever. And, uh, you know, to give some frame of reference. Basically, he snorted like a line of it and he said that he didn't feel anything. So then he decided to just immediately do the whole bag, several lines. Um, and apparently 
just a single line of this of snorting this DMT because it's it's a highly concentrated, very powerful hallucinogenic drug. And apparently just one line of it is supposed to send you into like world altering, crippling hallucinations to where you're just like on your back, just like out of commission for a day. One line. And he did the whole bag because he just thought he just snorted a line and was like, hey, this isn't working. <sighs> And like, you know, they say that you're never supposed to do that. If you are trying a drug for the first time, whatever it is, do not like take some and then like wait a couple minutes and then say this isn't working and then take more. Like you need to wait hours to make sure that it doesn't like have a delayed kick in effect or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's that it's that fucking scene from Wolf of Wall Street where they like they take one of those one of the quaaludes and it doesn't work. And then they take like a the whole bottle and then they're just like fucking on the floor, like crawling to their car or whatever. At this point, he slipped into a drug and alcohol-fueled depression, locking himself in his house and experimenting with harder and harder drugs. He even says that he was on the verge of committing suicide, just like his dad had, when one day he decided to turn his life around. He started going to AA meetings, cleaned up his act, cut back on drugs and alcohol, and decided it was time to get back into the workforce. McAfee was employed as a programmer by NASA's Institute for Space Studies in New York City from 1968 to 1970. From there, he went to UNIVAC as a software designer, and later to Xerox as an operating system architect. In 1978, he joined the Computer Sciences Corporation as a software consultant. He worked for consulting firm Booz Allen Hamilton from 1980 to 1982. In the mid-80s, McAfee made an important discovery. Personal computers were becoming more and more commonplace in American homes. But along with them came a new scourge that the average Joe had never heard of, the computer virus. One in particular was making major news headlines at the time, the brain virus largely considered to be the very first computer virus for the popular IBM personal computer. The virus had originally been created by two brothers from Pakistan to protect heart monitoring software they had developed from being illegally copied and pirated, infecting the pirate's floppy disk drive with slow speed so they couldn't properly use the pirated software or any other software for that matter, until they contacted the brothers to remove the virus. However, the virus had somehow jumped lanes and was released into the general public as a virus that was infecting any user that somehow installed it under their computer system, much to the original creator's horror. In 1986, McAfee was working for Lockheed, an aerospace company when his own computer became infected with the brain virus. But instead of contacting the two brothers from Pakistan, much like all the other millions of people infected with the virus were doing, he used his knowledge of coding to start poking around in his computer and seeing what the virus was actually doing. He quickly reverse engineered the virus and in a day and a half, he wrote a program that could remove the virus from his computer. Then he realized something. His program could remove the virus or any virus from anybody's computer. In 1987, he founded McAfee Associates, a company that produced one of the world's first commercial antivirus programs. Odds are you had this on your home PC at some point if you grew up or lived through the 90s or early 2000s, as it was ubiquitous and often came pre-installed on many computers. Either that or you had Norton Antivirus, but that dude's life was boring. <laughs> Honestly, I looked it up just to see if I wonder if it'd be funny if I could like add a little tidbit here of like, oh, also Norton ran a drug ring or something. I, I don't know. But uh, yeah, he, he was like he was a software engineer. He lived on a Buddhist monastery for a while. He created the Norton antivirus software. He sold it, sold the company and retired. And he just lives with his wife. Sounds like a good life, man. You're living it up, Norton. Good job, Norton. Yeah. Way to, way to, way to not be paying Belizean prostitutes to shit in your mouth. You did it, Norton. You fucking did it. What antivirus software did you have? Let me rephrase the question. What antivirus software did you constantly test the limits of by endlessly downloading just shady, weird shit on a constant basis? Um, we had, and yes, I 100% tested the limits. Maximum shady. You know, I was there. I was there for them torrents. I was there for them illegal downloading bullshits. 
Uh, I was there for some nefarious websites from time to time, you know, being a teenage boy. That that happens, right? That's not going to get me canceled or something, right? We had, we actually had both. We first had Norton antivirus on one computer and then we got a different computer and that computer had uh, McAfee. Yeah, oddly enough, I, I, I never had McAfee. I'm, I'm not a McAfee house. I, in the early days, my dad's computer had Norton. And then later on, I started using more open source antiviruses that were just less taxing on your processor. So I used uh, Avast, which ended up becoming AVG antivirus, which was like a really good open source, low processor profile antivirus software that didn't hog up a bunch of resources and have a bunch of unnecessary systems and processes. My only real memory of Norton antivirus is continually, every time we booted up the computer, getting prompt messages of like, your shit's fucking out of date. You should update Norton. Your shit's out of fucking date. You should update. You should update. Did you update yet? You should update. And everybody in my entire household is being like, fuck this. <laughs> We're not doing this. Yeah, those. Yeah, they I mean, John McAfee didn't really think much of his software either after a while. But yeah, the by the time, you know, in the in the night in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s when we were on computers and stuff. Like those antivirus programs, they just, they were not good. Like they just, they just caused more problems than they solved. Because honestly, like if you, if you even halfway know what you're doing, if you get, if you get a certain type of virus or some malware or some spyware and you start noticing weird behavior, um, you can kind of just Google like what's happening and quickly find like a pretty easy workaround or a way to fix it. It's like not, doesn't involve coding at all. It's just like, Da- delete this file from this folder or whatever and you just do that and then you're done and it's like i don't have to have this fucking program that's taking up like half of my hard drive to get rid of this those were the days man those were the days now the viruses are idea viruses that infect our minds through the internet and there's nothing we can do to stop them mcafee was in the exact right place at the exact right time exploiting his prowess for computer programming and problem solving to fill a huge gap in the exploding home computer market and McAfee Associates immediately became massively successful. The company immediately became one of the main suppliers of antivirus software, and McAfee enjoyed immediate fame as an eccentric tech genius who had single-handedly solved one of society's newest and most annoying problems. He showed early savvy for talking to the media and weaving a story in these early days. A new, much more malicious virus had been created called the Michelangelo virus, and McAfee went on a press tour being interviewed all over TV, preaching that the Michelangelo virus was going to bring some kind of computer doomsday and destroy everyone's computer computers and was also a party dude. Because of this, McAfee antivirus sales soared. A computer virus, Bryant, is a program written by a hacker. Any computer that it's in, it activates and destroys all of the data in those systems. John showed his first signs of savvy working with the media, able to articulate a scary story that this doomsday virus was about to hit. The entire research community agrees. This is the number one virus. It is the number one computer threat. It's real, and it's going to happen on the 6th of March. The Michelangelo virus caused many people around the world to download antivirus software for the first time. That's how the money just started rolling in. By 1993, McAfee controlled 67% of the desktop antivirus market. So far, this seems like the typical American success story. A downtrodden but talented everyman overcomes trials and tribulations, cleans up his life, works hard, and builds an empire. The end. However, John McAfee is not an everyman, and this isn't a typical American success story. 
and McAfee Associates immediately became one of the most controversial companies in history. He hired friends and family for his company that didn't have any previous job experience. So experienced computer engineers would be working side by side with one of McAfee's cousins whose previous job was working at a local Miller's outpost. And McAfee commanded a larger than life cult of personality. His employees were so obsessively devoted to pleasing him that they'd work around the clock, often sleeping at the office for multiple nights under their desks so they wouldn't waste time commuting or living personal lives. Which, honestly, as fucked up as all of this is, it doesn't really sound that out of the ordinary compared with other toxic and nepotistic work cultures of many other companies. But then came the sex contests. Hey! <laughs> Yay! John McAfee sex contest. Dude, I've been waiting for it. I love you, John McAfee. I love your crazy, buckwild, problematic, insane behavior. I don't know how you're not in prison for multiple reasons. It's the harbinger of many, many things to come. The Mothman of getting a blowjob behind the copier. The Mothman showed up and was like, you're gonna fuck. And then later on, you're gonna murder people. Employees would hold sex contests where they'd be given points for having sex in different parts of the office with different employees. Employees report people walking through the office in the morning, disinfecting tables and desks from the previous night's festivities. Um, excuse me, excuse me, um, uh, Laura, can you hand me the, the, those TPS reports? Oh, uh, no, no, not the ones with the cum shot on them. The, the non-cum covered TPS reports. We need those for the meeting. Yeah, I mean, it's literally like that. And I mean, can you imagine that? Like, I mean, I, I know we're, we're, our world is far from perfect now. And a lot of these things are actually just kind of coming to light now and still going on. And even today, you kind of are sometimes baffled by the things you see happen where you're just like, I can't believe you're still doing that. In 2021, after all these other people who have gotten in trouble for these things, like, how are you still doing this? How do you, how did you walk up, wake up, you know, get out of bed this morning and think like, I'm going to do this horrible shit and not, I'm not going to get in trouble for it, even though all these other people have gotten in trouble for it. But we've still come so far from this where they're just like having orgies in this office building. And it's like, this is just a kooky workplace where, you know, we just do things a little different than other places. All right. So um, we're just going to get you onboarded. Um, so here's your tax information. If you just fill this out. Here's your swipe ID lanyard. Um, and here's a box of Magnum condoms. Uh, you will need them. Oh, that's I'm fine. No, you legally you have to take these. Yeah, this is a this is a a, a safe workplace. Then why do why do I need these? Then mm, it it would you'll find out you'll find out just just take them. In fact, here's two boxes. I can't really imagine what that would be like. Too is like you come in one morning and it's just like John McAfee various romantic partners and his cousin just going to town being like, oh, that's a Tuesday. Oh, that was the best time of that cousin's life. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I went from Miller's Crossing to this? Or not, what, 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 where did you say? Miller's Crossing is that movie. What What the fuck? Where did, where did he work? Miller's Outpost. Miller's Outpost. That wasn't real. There's no, That's not a real person. That's a hypothetical made up straw man character that I created in my mind. Oh, God damn it. I got really excited for... Jorge, uh, Jorge McAfee. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, that was the best time of his life. Cause you know that once, once McAfee leaves this company, like they fired him immediately and he just went right back to working at Miller's Outpost. Yep. Yeah. He was, and then he got caught one day, like banging somebody behind the outpost. 
<laughs> he got fired and he was like, what? It was fine at my last job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, it was all downhill from there because he, he got he had like a solid year. All he had to do every day is just sit at a computer and just pretend like he was looking at spreadsheets and he just glommed on to different terminologies that people around were making and he just kind of parroted them. And everyone just was like, this guy is a fucking idiot. But John McAfee would just be like, it's fine. Just leave him alone. He was just like railing other coworkers just on on a nightly basis, like on an afternoonly basis. He was like organizing these like he was the one keeping the points. He was like marking them down on a chalkboard. He had a spreadsheet. Yeah. That it was in the, on that one. He knew how to use it. Like he literally, when he's looking at an expense reports and stuff, and he was like, "I don't know. This is just a different language to me." But when it was the it was the fuck spreadsheets, he was using conditional formatting. He was using pivot tables. He was going buck wild, and then he, and then he got fired, and then the rest of his life was just like it could never compare to that year. And the controversy probably would have only grown from there. However, only a few short years after the company was incorporated in 1990, McAfee resigned from McAfee Associates in 1994. His investors wanted to grow the business into a big corporate conglomerate, and John just wasn't interested in that. So they bought out his remaining shares of the company for a rumored $100 million, though McAfee himself would challenge the validity of that amount many times throughout the years. And he completely severed ties with the company that bore his namesake. You made $100 million, let's say, from selling McAfee, right? That's what they say. How much did you make? Much more. What did you do with the money? I wasted it. I just think that that little moment is just so funny to me. It's just so needlessly braggadocious. And he's just like such a cocky asshole. I love that the guy who's interviewing him, who's the same reporter that we've we've featured on the show a couple times. He he was in the uh, Tra- Trayvon Martin, uh, George Zimmerman episode. He was in... He's been in a bunch of stuff where we've had legal cases because that guy is just like a legal correspondent, always goes and interviews people around court cases and stuff. But I, I just love that guy's like his weird lack of a forehead. And then like just kind of the, his way of speaking is really funny to me. Like he's just a very bizarre looking person. And I love that he always pops up. It makes me laugh whenever he shows up. Yeah. And, and as we'll talk about way later on in the episode, it gets Gets even more funny when, um, you know, he's him and just other journalists are just interviewing John McAfee, just joking around with him, being really jovial. And it's like this guy is like a murderer. Like, like it's it's so weird. But we'll talk more about that later. By the late 90s, McAfee was using his wealth to try and create new companies. He founded a company called Tribal Voice and developed a web based chat program called Pow Wow weirdly channeling Native American imagery, but the company never took off and quietly dissolved. He was also showing early signs of the intense paranoia that would go on to define his life. He sensed the virus threat in a way that most people didn't. He seemed brilliant, but also paranoid. He is more sensitive than maybe the average person to potential threats. My wife thought it a little funny when he came next door looking for his wife, Judy, who was over visiting with us because he wasn't home yet. And he shows up and he, and so I let him in the house and he's got a gun in his back pocket. And I says, Susan said, you know, uh, is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> you know? And, you know, he just said, oh, well, you know, it's dark out. There's no street lights on this street. You'd never know. But they were making quite a bit of money then and maybe somebody kidnapped his wife. So he came over to see if we'd seen her. Is that paranoid? I don't know. That sounds like uh, a gilded cage if I've ever heard one. 
I don't think I need $100 million worth of problems. For sure. But also, is that even $100 million worth of problems? Like, obviously, especially, you know, back in the day, you know, you open yourself up to scrutiny and danger when you are a celebrity or you have a lot of money and people take advantage of you. Or sometimes you can get into danger where there's kidnappings and ransoms and people breaking into your house and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the, like where where's the line where it was actually warranted danger and where it was just John McAfee just being like a fucking paranoid maniac? Yeah, normally I would com- I would be completely on the side of like, I don't know, man, I don't know if you and I can understand what it's like to have that amount of money and the, the fear and, and kind of paranoia that is just inherent in that type of opulence. And then we get to the rest of this episode and I'm like, ah, this guy might be a fucking maniac. <laughs> In the year 2000, he decided to disappear from the business world entirely and bought 280 acres of land in Colorado and opened a yoga and meditation center. Kind of too big to even get my head around this this massive place that one guy owned and he'd let you stay there for free. Pain is nothing more than a powerful sensation, is it not? I mean, it's, it's your body talking to you like your body talks to you when you get a massage or when you're sexually aroused. If you aren't sort of keeping score or paying attention in these early days, there's like these huge missing chunks of time where he didn't have this consistent public presence, which is kind of interesting considering later on with how obsessed he became with wanting to be in the public spotlight and wanting to have all eyes on him. But in the early days, there was like large chunks of time, years in between some of these moments where he uh, quit McAfee Associates within the first couple of years of it existing. And he just disappeared. He was just, you know, like an anonymous rich guy kind of just enjoying his money and kind of investing in things and trying to get some stuff going in the background. And he uh, he really didn't get on anybody's radar from like 1994 until the year 2000. And then again, he once again, he kind of disappears. And then from the year 2000, he's out of the limelight and nobody's knows what he's doing or where he's at until like 2008. There are these just long chunks of time where he's just off the grid. Nobody knows what he's doing. He's I mean, obviously, it was the 90s and early 2000s. It was easier to kind of disappear. So maybe he wouldn't be so good at it nowadays. But uh, it's kind of interesting that he was such a high profile person. He had this massively successful company. He seems addicted to fame and the spotlight. And yet he just kind of went off the grid for years at a time and was just gone. It's it's almost kind of like how people's brain patterns, how they have the like, you know, they're like bipolar people have, you know, managed peaks and and you know uh depressive lows you know um and i i wonder if he has some sort of imbalance that's something along those lines but it's almost kind of like years long like highs then coupled with years long lows then that turn into high you know do you know what i'm saying like it's just or maybe just as a human you can't be a performative maniac for that long you need to go into these hibernation periods where you're just in thailand surrounded by women of the night or something yeah i think it's probably a combination of both because i think i think you're right in that second thing but the first thing is interesting and i think that it probably has some some validity where there's going to be some more details we get into in the late later in the episode where you get this picture of this uh, this fact that he is just easily bored and he kind of picks things up and then loses interest in them like toys in a very rapid fashion. That's very indicative in sort of some of the business ventures and relationships and just literally locations he's at in the world. 
it seems like he just easily gets tired of things and wants to go do something else or go on to the bigger and better thing or, you know, just something different than what he's doing. But, you know, that seems like that would also maybe lend itself to sometimes he really wants to be in the spotlight. He wants people paying attention to him. And then sometimes he just wants to like disappear and have nobody, nobody knowing where he is or paying attention to what he's doing. Unless he gets a, a hankering for becoming a new age spiritual yoga guru, as one is wont to do at times. I've been meaning to tell you, uh, I'm going to have to take a sabbatical from the show because I'm opening a uh, yoga retreat called um, Bikram Yoga. I mean, I I can only respect it. It's like Bikram Yoga, but it's Bikram Yoga. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I got it. I got the picture. Cool. I just wanted to make sure you weren't missing the fact that that was a very well-crafted pun. The first rule of yoga and transcendental meditation is you have to let go of the puns. Uh, That's actually the first rule of Bikram Yoga is puns trump all. It's just, it's a pun-based spirituality. (laughs) Look, man, you know how they say time is a flat circle? Well, existential growth is a pun. So this, this audio that you're hearing, he's in this big, and I really wish I could find some other footage of this, like an action, because it's clear, this footage is obviously like this professionally shot video footage that he shot to like sell as like tapes um of of his lessons but i can't find any of it like it's just it's in this documentary the, this little clip of footage but i couldn't find anything else and i wish i could because it's full on like he's in this big studio this big com it's like it looks like a combination of like a yoga studio but it also kind of has the trappings of looking like a you know like a like a fuck den like a, yeah i mean maybe like a fuck den but just kind of like a like a like a eastern looking kind of like loungy area with a fireplace and you know decorations on the wall and stuff like that and he's like sitting at the head of you know there's like 50 people there and they're all just kind of like sitting in this big open space with their legs crossed and he's like sitting in front of them wearing like all white and kind of like sitting in the you know with his legs crossed and you know kind of looking out at them and uh he even like he's really like you know later on is in, in footage we see later on of him as he gets older he looks like really kind of haggard and just sort of uh I don't know man I think he looks pretty good considering what he's doing Yeah I mean he definitely looks good he seems to he seems to be somebody who has some really good genetics for like being able to handle like just excessive and constant drug and alcohol use and hard living without just totally just like fucking melting into a piece of shit um but still, you you still see a little bit of the wear on him. But in these in these uh, tapes that he has, he's like he's like really finely manicured, and he's obviously wearing some makeup. And his hair is really quaffed, and he's got like this really finely shaped like facial hair. Um, and he, it's just full on like it's full on cult leader. When we started talking about him starting a yoga studio. My first thought is like, okay, how long are we going to talk about it as a yoga studio before we start talking about the fact that he's obviously going to just use this as like a fuck den? Like, that's the only reason he's doing this. A hundred percent. And I think and it, I'm going I'm to say this in a second, but oddly enough and funny enough, it kind of never happened. I think it never got that far because he was in so much legal trouble that he just couldn't allow his cult to blossom because he was like, fuck every day he's being hounded and hounded. And he's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I had like a five-year plan with this cult where I was going to turn all these people into my fuck zombies, but they're knocking on my door. Like I got to get out of here. And it just cut his cult short. 
During this time of his life, he kept a low profile for nearly a solid decade. He hosted free yoga retreats on his compound for friends, family, and interested strangers. He also wrote three self-help books on yoga, meditation, and Eastern philosophy, where he channeled the teachings he was given during his retreats. Why did he do it for free? Well, John McAfee would say that he did it just out of the kindness of his heart, that he wanted to spread these teachings to others and enrich the lives of anybody who was interested. But like low key, he was straight up trying to start a cult and it just kind of didn't take off. Watching the footage of his sessions, you can't help but get strong cult leader vibes from his weird new age pseudo spiritual sermons. And people who lived in the surrounding areas reported feeling strong cult vibes from the people staying on McAfee's estate whenever they'd wander into town in groups to eat or pick up things from stores. Plus, all you have to do is look at every other stage of his life, whether it be the office culture at McAfee Associates or the things we're going to talk about later, to see that pretty much at every turn, McAfee has tried to build a cult-like following around him. This was just one of the most overt, thinly veiled incarnations of it. To me, it seems very obvious that he got it in his mind. You know, we talked about this like Maslow's hierarchy of needs of you know, you reach the top and then you need to go higher. And then like the, the, the level above that is like extreme boredom. And then the level of that is like, I need to have a cult. And I think that, I think that's what happened. I think, I think he, he was like this, this fuck up alcoholic drug addict kid who flim flammed and talked his way into starting this incredibly successful company that made him extremely rich. But in his heart of hearts, he was not a business person in that way. He was not somebody who's like, all right, now we're going to build this into a multi-conglomerate corporation and you know, expand worldwide and branch out our branding. He, he was not into that. He's like, he just wants to like do coke and like fuck prostitutes. That's just what he wants to do. So he cashes out of this company. I mean, honestly, I've never done either of those things. I might too, you know, maybe it's just like to him, it's like junk food. He's just like, I can't help but going to McDonald's at two in the morning. It's like a problem where I just love going to the corner of you know, Figueroa and finding some some nice ladies of the evening to spend some time with. Do a little chit chat, do a little flim flam, do a little squibbity jubes. Yeah, I, I'm not even I'm not even saying that there's anything wrong with either of those things. I'm not I'm not like demonizing them at all. Like I I do not want to do cocaine. I you know, cocaine is a it's not the worst of them, but it's an addictive substance that can have destructive effects on your life and relationships and career and Although I would, I would love to, I would love to see what would happen to Deep Cuts if you were just like high out of your mind on cocaine while editing. It just becomes like Scorsese, like, like everything gets compacted. It's like super fast. There's all kinds of weird jump edits where it's just like, I'm Dave Baker. Welcome to Deep Cuts. Every episode is just like that, that, uh, that, that montage in, uh, in, in Goodfellas where they're just like they're just out of their mind on coke and just really paranoid and they see the helicopter going around and he's like convinced that they're like scoping out his house and it keeps cutting to his wife like making the food and they're just they're going like crazier and crazier it's just that every episode um but yeah I I don't have any interest in doing that myself but if that's something you want to do and it doesn't uh negatively affect any you know I don't want anyone to die if it's going to be a problem that is uh, you know, going to lead to some crippling effects on your life or it ends up killing you. I definitely think that you should get some help and, you know, see addiction counselors or check yourself into something. But uh, honestly, yeah, if you're if you're if you're just like, I just want to do coke and I'm cool. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt anyone else. Like uh, whatever, do whatever you're going to do. Um, but what I am saying is that that is exactly what Mac, Mac if you wanted to do, that's like that's his shit. He's like, 
He's like, okay, created a fucking revolutionary program that like solved a, a problem for like everybody in the world that was like, going to become a major issue if I hadn't like stepped in and like invented this bullshit. That's fine. That's like something I did on a Tuesday. I'm over it. I'm fucking over it. I want to snort some lines and fuck some prostitutes. That was his jam. I think that in in his uh in his domestic boredom of, you know, being rich and kind of like semi-retired at the age of like 40 or whatever, however old he was at the time, having a hundred million dollars or maybe more and just kind of like living in a, like a domestic life with, with, you know, the, his wife and the whole nine yards. He was just like, I, I got to start a fucking cult. I got to convince my wife that I'm like just teaching these women to like be in touch with their inner spirituality. And I got to just buy a huge fuck palace in Colorado, in the highly erotic hillside of Colorado. And he had this five-year plan for doing it. And it was, he was on track. Like that was going to, his life was going to end in a hail of gunfire when the FBI came to crack down on his illegal kombucha farm or whatever. Jonestown? No, McAfee Town. But that was all interrupted because he was, uh, he was being hounded for many shady business dealings that he had done, you know, as a bored rich guy. His, uh, his street name during this time period was... John Biznasty McAfee. Much like the McAfee Associates years of starting a massively successful business, this feels like it could be the stopping point in another public figure story. Eccentric tech genius quits his massively successful company, retreats from public life, and starts a weird new age cult. But this is John fucking McAfee. So why did his cult fail? And why did McAfee sell his massive Colorado estate, auction off all of his belongings, and flee the country? At the time, he would have told you that he got tired of people taking advantage of his hospitality and decided it was time to move on to a grand new adventure. But in reality, it was the overwhelming pressure of legal troubles coming down on him from multiple angles all at once, being hit with constant lawsuits from previous shady business deals from his past, which he described as frivolous and unfounded the government looking into his taxes, and most importantly, the massive 2008 economic recession and housing crisis that crippled his bank account after he'd invested heavily in real estate deals that had cratered overnight. Or at least, so he said? John McAfee's personal account of his life story is similar to listening to Heath Ledger's Joker talk about his childhood. The story always shifting and evolving and contradicting itself until you're sure that his main goal is to just bathe himself in as much obscurity and mystique as possible so that nobody is ever quite sure of where he stands. After leaving the US, he claimed at the time to have been completely gutted by the recession, going from being worth $100 million to being worth less than $10 million. Oh no, only $10 million? But here's the thing, at least according to him, that was just kayfabe. He just like invented it. He he's claimed later on that he didn't lose any money. He just said that he went, he went around and he started talking to all these media companies. And you can see interviews of him sitting down with people and being like, he basically he basically went on this sort of media tour where he was basically like a like a like a character witness of the economic crisis where he was being he was being interviewed on all these shows as like rich man who was affected by the 2008 housing crisis. So he'd sit down and be like, yeah, I, uh, I you know, I was worth one hundred million dollars. And then this whole thing happened. And now I'm worth less than 10 million. And he would just say that on a bunch of different news programs. And he says now that it was all a ruse and that he just did that on purpose so that all the people who were suing him would see that he was broke and they would stop suing him. And he says that it worked. I don't believe any of that. I don't I don't I don't believe anything John McAfee says ever. 
I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I'm advocating that he did or didn't lose money. I'm just saying everything that guy says, I don't believe. <laughs> Both ways, always. Yeah, I mean, it's full. It's, it's totally like the, the Joker thing comparison that I just made where he said he's constantly just like throwing out all these different versions of his reality and explanations of things and they constantly contradict each other and you have no idea what's true and what's not true um you can kind of get like broad details based on you know just factual evidence of things and eyewitnesses and just the, the details of what actually happened um in a in an observable way but the the nuances and the little branching offs of how the specifics of things played out are often straight from the mouth of John McAfee and you never really know what is the real thing or if any of them are the real thing. The answer is D, none of them. He didn't even invent the McAfee software. He's like a Stan Lee, Walt Disney guy and he just stole it from some other dude. (laughs) He stole it from Norton. (laughs) McAfee had finally achieved, at least temporarily, at least for the moment, that ultimate vision of true freedom that he had always longed for. When he was rebelling against his abusive father and when he railed an entire bag of DMT at his railroad job and when he gave the middle finger to his McAfee Associates corporate investors and walked away from the company. He was wealthy. He owed nothing to anybody, at least in his own opinion. He had escaped all of his lawsuits and the government looking into his finances and he was free to go anywhere and do whatever he pleased. So where did he go? A sleepy little tropical village in Belize called San Pedro. And what did he do? Started a private army and probably murdered a dude? Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Act two, for a few hundred million dollars more. John McAfee's time in Belize started off incredibly well. He was a massively rich American living it up in the tropical paradise where economic disparities caused his money to go a long way. He bought a massive beachside mansion and hired a small team of drivers, housekeepers, and security guards. His days were spent boating, fishing, and swimming along the barrier reef just off the shore of his property in the crystal clear Belizean waters. And he wasn't the only one. Belize, and particularly these tropical beachside areas, are a hot spot for wealthy American expats and people escaping the law in the US. McAfee was amongst his people, rich mavericks who play by their own rules and live lavish lifestyles befitting of kinda shady but extremely rich dudes with criminally spotty pasts. But Like most of his neighbors, McAfee wasn't really interested in just kicking back and enjoying the Belizean sun. He, above all else, hungered for ultimate freedom and the power that came hand in hand with it. He quickly got bored with his non-stop vacation and started planting seeds to ingratiate himself with the Belizean locals and, more importantly, the local government. He donated tons of equipment to the local police department, bought the government a brand new $1 million boat, and even started his own private ferry service to help ship Belizeans on and off nearby islands as a quote-unquote public service. Then he met an American college student named Allison Adonazio. She was working on a project to take bacteria found in Belize and develop a revolutionary type of antibiotic, and McAfee quickly agreed to fund her work and start a pharmaceutical business. The partnership immediately presented some red flags for Allison. For one, 
Her research was in the extremely early experimental and unproven stage, and it felt odd that this rich guy would just throw money at her basically sight unseen based on so few results. Also, his proposition involved her living in his San Pedro beachside mansion and conducting her research from there while they got the business off the ground. But the promise of getting her dream job and starting a business around her research before even graduating college was too alluring to Allison, and she quickly dropped out of school and fully moved to Belize. Becoming increasingly bored with his never-ending beach vacation lifestyle and wanting to expand their business, McAfee bought up a plot of land near a huge archaeological site in the Orange Walk district of Belize in the city of Carmelita. He hired tons of people to help him develop the land, creating hundreds of jobs in the area. And whereas the typical job paid $25 a day, he was paying $45 per day, so everyone wanted a job with him. He also helped tons of people in the area, paying people's utility bills, helping them finish their houses, creating a lot of goodwill in the city. This part is kind of fascinating to me because, you know, Belize is this really tropical and beautiful country that's like just under Mexico, but it's also fairly small in terms of population, just highly concentrated areas of population and then just a lot of like kind of tropical areas that are uninhabited. And it's it's really fascinating because, you know, we have nationally known celebrities and even globally known celebrities in the United States that everybody's aware of. You know, everybody knows who Brad Pitt is or Tom Cruise or The Rock or whatever. But they're sort of deified as these gods, basically. Like we, we, we worship celebrities in this godlike, royalty-like way where they're sort of untouchable. But because of the economic disparities in this country, a very poor country, and because of how small it was, and because of the sheer amount of money that John McAfee was throwing around and the way that he was able to just throw money at things to like directly influence and change and affect people's lives in a very direct way. He was nationally known in the country, but not in a way like a celebrity. Like he was just literally like everybody knew him. He would just walk around and he was like a fucking he was like a traveling celebrity who would just like walk from place to place and people would be like, oh, John McAfee. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. Hello, Susan. Everybody knew who he was. Everybody, tons of people worked for him or they knew people who worked for him or married to people who worked for him or they had received some kind of financial assistance from him in a way where he was just ubiquitously known in this very direct and personal way. Yeah, it's almost kind of um, like at every turn, there's like all of these, these components of this story that are like, it's almost heartwarming, but like, you know that he's not doing it for the right reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is, that's exactly what it is. He was doing all these things. Um, and you know, in, in one way you could look at it and you could say, you could, you could embrace the kayfabe because to this day, he would insist that he did these things, um, because he loved the people and he was doing these in like these selfless acts in these very philanthropical ways. He would insist to this day that that's what he did. I mean, he would, he would insist to this day that he didn't commit any of these crimes that we're talking about. Um, but he was very obviously doing all these things um, to amass power. And, 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 you know, he, you know, you, you give a bunch of people all kinds of money and you pay their bills or whatever, and they're going to be more likely to accept it whenever you're like patrolling the streets with armed guards running the place like a fucking king. Yeah. Or turning, turning a blind eye when you have like a boat full of cocaine, just like show up on a pier at midnight or you know when he just like goes to a local bar and just starts buying people <laughs> like 
Yeah, it's like, you know, the, he, had, he, had, he had just a ton of money um, and, you know, almost in the way that, you know, you have exchange rates where you can exchange certain currencies for other cur- currencies or, you know, you can buy cryptocurrencies for money and, you, you know, ex- you exchange real dollars for these like digital currencies. He was like exchanging money for like goodwill that he could spend to gain power. In this way, by throwing money around and doing these huge stunts, he easily became famous and well-known throughout the city. Everyone quickly became aware of John McAfee, but were his actions purely altruistic or part of some larger self-serving masterstroke? Of course, John McAfee would argue for the former, but as time goes on, we'll see that objectively, at the very least, some combination of both. He turned the Orange Walk property into a big compound, along with lab facilities for Allison to work out of, and started bringing news crews out to cover the pharmaceutical business. Allison was confused. They had just barely started the exploratory research phase of their business and had literally nothing to show. It was way too early to start hyping up the business, let alone attracting news coverage. She told McAfee that she didn't have any actual work to show. McAfee was angry that he invited all these news crews out to cover their work, but that Allison didn't have anything to show off yet. But he quickly changed tack and suggested to Allison that they fake it a little. He made Allison put water with different colored dyes in bottles so the news crews could film them tinkering around the lab together as if there were real results and work happening. Allison felt uncomfortable about lying like this, but McAfee explained that it was just how people did things in the business world. Fake it till you make it. She seemed to accept that. I actually didn't put these in the script. I just didn't think to, but I want to pull these up really quick just to show you these promotional photos. Yeah, so they so they had uh, they had these news crews out and they were like literally just like posing for these fake photos where they're just, he's just holding up like a little beaker just filled with water. And he's just like, hmm, let me inspect these chemicals. He's like looking through like a, a fucking microscope at nothing. There's like pictures where it's Allison and she's also kind of like holding up beakers with water and food color in them. And she's kind of like apprehensively just like, you know, going along with it and just like pretending like, yes, I'm I'm examining these chemicals right now. It's 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 so funny that they're just like they're just like taking these pictures where they're just holding up beakers of water. I love it. I love it. And she's wearing a lab coat because, of course, you're wearing a lab coat. Yeah, she's wearing. He's like, put on this lab coat. But they're in like they're in like a fucking like cabin, like a like a like a lean to style structure. And there's like you know foliage and like Belizean trees and you know pseudo jungle right outside. <laughs> it's not like they're like in a lab lab. It's like all right, we we have like this you know cabana. That we're doing our... That was, their, their quote-unquote lab was this compound in the middle of the forest that was just a bunch of bungalows. And there was like, he lived there and one of them was, he had a house and then there was just a bunch of different, he, he the, it was this huge property. There's like, you know, acres and acres of, of, of land that he owned. This was just in the middle of the jungle. I love it. It looked like a... Like a fucking like jungle like meth lab that Rambo would raid or something like that in a movie. So into it. However, McAfee was becoming increasingly more paranoid and erratic, an inner demon he'd always dealt with, but one which was getting much worse over time, and one which Allison had not been aware of when she agreed to partner with him. More and more, his behavior often scared her, and she began to question if she'd made the right decision. McAfee was also experimenting with crazier drugs. In addition to everything he was already doing, he developed a penchant for an extremely dangerous type of bath salts or synthetic cathinones, a man-made stimulant that he described as, quote-unquote, the finest drug ever conceived and, quote-unquote, super perv powder due to the fact that the drug apparently acted as some kind of massive aphrodisiac. He also said of the drug, I had visual and auditory hallucinations and the worst paranoia of my life. 
McAfee's Orange Walk compound was located near an area where buses would pick up and drop off people from nearby cities. So tons of Belizeans would pass by and take note of the fact that a rich foreigner lived there. He started getting people calling him on the phone, constantly threatening him. He became incredibly paranoid about being murdered or robbed. He beefed up his security majorly with tons of local Belizeans, including multiple gang members. Eventually, he got several local gangs in his back pocket by hiring up their ranks. He took advantage of the fact that nobody wanted to give them a job and he was the only one that would. This is where McAfee's strange private army started to take shape. His guards wore matching camouflage uniforms and they'd drive around the town of Carmelita in convoys of vehicles, fully armed. McAfee saw the town as corrupt and overrun by crime, and so he got it in his mind and he conveyed to everyone that he was the only one who could clean it up and restore order. He set a curfew for the town. Anybody found in the street after 8 p.m. would be dealt with by the crew by threat of a public beating or even death. But it wasn't just local gangs he controlled. He forked over tons of bribe money to buy up the loyalty of the local Carmelita police. He had a brand new police station built in town, and it was swarmed with a combination of his gang entourage and the corrupt police. This is when he started ranting to people close to him about taking over the Belizean government, an allegation that he denies, though there are several witnesses that swear it's true. Yeah, I 100% believe that that's true. Like, where where, where else would this go? Like, that is, once you have a privatized guerrilla army wearing matching uniforms, yeah, that's, that's, you don't do that to just, like, protect yourself. You're marching, no pun intended, towards a coup. Like, that's what you're doing. It feels the same as the cult, where this was, like, his long-term plan, and then it just kind of got interrupted by his other bullshit like it's like seems like every time he's like he has all these plans and then they just always get kind of like cut short by his other bullshit it's like fuck like i i wanted i had this whole plan of starting a cult and in five years i was gonna have like 20 sister wives and then like my other bullshit fucked it up and then he's like all right i'm gonna create a guerrilla army and i'm gonna overthrow the Belizean government and i'm gonna become like a fucking dictator leader of a fucking country but then my other bullshit fucked it up the other crazy cult schemes that i had finally caught up to me the other murder plots the other tax evasion the other lawsuits all you know caved in it kind of feels like if he had just like picked even like three of these schemes but he's he's picked like 15 schemes and if he just picked three he probably would have succeeded at all of them he should he should have had like one of those those like those posters that you see on like fucking like creative people's walls like video editors or whatever where it's like fast easy cheap yeah you can all you can you can have you need two. You get to pick two. You get to pick two or whatever. Like, he should have had that poster on his wall at all times for his shady schemes. Just pick a couple. Like, you're going to become a cult leader or you're going to overthrow a government and become like a dictator supreme leader. Or you're going to become a thought leader on the technological new frontier. Or you're going to become a murderer. Or you're going to become, like, it's just, like, 15 different things. Or you're going to become a, a, you know, a talk-to-text uh, guru. Or you're going to become a cryptocurrency uh, advocate. Or you're going to become, it's just, there's just, it's never enough with this guy. He's like, listen, John, John, I love your drive. I love the fact that you just you're you're a go getter. You you stri- you shoot for the moon, you know, and and even if you miss, you're going to land among the stars. I think it's great. I think I think, you know, you you have a lot of ambition and I think that you can really go somewhere. 
but I just, if I was going to give a note, if I was going to, if I was, you know, I know, I know that you didn't ask my advice. I know I'm kind of sticking my neck out here and giving a little bit of unsolicited advice here. But if I was going to, if I was going to give a little bit of advice, I would say either murder the guy or overthrow the government. Just, I mean, look, I'm not saying that you have to pick. You just have to pick an order. You have to either throw, overthrow the government. Yeah. You either have to overthrow the government and then murder a guy once you have the government in your pocket, or you have to murder a guy, hide it, make sure it all goes away, and then throw over the, this Belizean, uh, government. You just gotta, you just gotta, you can't do everything at once all the time, John. And just, a, and just a tiny, I know I'm, I'm really kind of overstaying my welcome here, but a, just a tiny extra little note. If you do choose to murder the guy first, maybe make the guy you murder like some high ranking government official. Cause I feel like, I feel like that kind of almost one hand washes the other on that, where you kind of are helping your other, uh, your other venture of overthrowing the government. If you, if the guy you murder, like I'm just saying, hypothetically, if you're going to murder a guy, if that's the thing that you've decided on, maybe make that like the president or something. I just I don't know if like murdering like some random vacationing Floridian guy. I don't know if that really in the grand scheme of things like helps you with your whole your whole deal. We're just really loving this script you wrote, uh, the McAfee files. We're just really into this. We love the main character of John McAfee. We just feel like he's such an interesting, flawed protagonist. You know, he's he's got these big dreams of being a dictator, cult leader, drug enthusiast. Um, we're just not sure about the season two finale where he murders his next door neighbor. It feels like a bit of a hat on the hat. Like, couldn't he just like disappear some people in Belize? No. Okay. Well, thank you. We'll we'll get back to you. We'll we'll let you know. We'll talk about it internally, and we'll we'll let you know. All right. Call John August. <laughs> Throughout all of this, Allison had grown increasingly scared of McAfee's erratic behavior. His amassing of power, his entourages of roving gang members, and his subtle threats, and decided she needed to leave Belize ASAP. She finally worked with the courage and went to McAfee and told him this. She expected him to be angry, but she couldn't have expected what happened next. McAfee was erratic during their conversation, simultaneously scolding her about the massive opportunity she was throwing away, while also subtly threatening to take away her research, ruin her chances of any future career, and other personal damage to her life. During the conversation, she told him that she had a headache, and he brought her two pills and a glass of orange juice. She claims she blacked out and that McAfee sexually assaulted her. Somehow, I found the courage to confront him, and he acted as if nothing happened. And I said, I'm leaving. I'd like to split on fair terms, and if you could buy me out of the company. I remember I just started um, a very calm, conversation and he went from zero to crazy in like two seconds. He called me all kinds of names and pushed me through the door of his orange walk um, compound. I locked myself in the lab and I thought he's dangerous. I started destroying all the, the samples and, um, you know, any of the reagents that he could have used against someone. And um, I emailed my dad. I had just about maybe 10 minutes to do this. I emailed my dad and um, bought a plane ticket home. And as soon as I, like, hit send on that email, he cut the power. He cut the email and he cut the power. 
He was pounding on the door, mad, screaming, just screaming, and he left. And he got a gun. And he came back. I was hiding beneath the benches. I'd made some friends by that point. And I texted my friends and I said, guys, you gotta come get me. Like he could have broken in, he didn't. I don't know if he went back in the house or what happened, but my friends came to get me. And they escorted me out and hid me at a relative's house and uh, took me to the plane the next morning. Yeesh! Yeesh! That's some scary shit, man. That is so terrifying. Yeah, you're just out in the fucking middle of the, like, forest with just, like, this rich dude and, like, all these hired gang members. No thanks. When Allison got back to the States, she immediately contacted the FBI about what had occurred, but they had no jurisdiction in Belize, so nothing could be done. McAfee, of course, denies that any of this happened and instead claims that Allison had immediately shown untrustworthiness after forming their partnership. He says that she rarely worked on her research, instead opting to party with friends, and that he'd increasingly grown frustrated with her lack of results. He says that he then fired her, which she reacted very poorly to, destroying all of her samples and equipment before fleeing the country and starting a smear campaign against him. Which, you know, it, to, at least to me, given that the testimonies of these things are just sort of two different people giving, you know, conflicting accounts of an event that only they shared, of, of all of these situations like this i mean obviously there's no way of knowing for a fact or being completely confirmed as to what really happened but it seems like a fairly simple in this case decision to make of just looking at just the scope of john mcafee's life and looking at how everywhere he goes somebody's just like this guy is fucking insane he did this bullshit and this bullshit and just being like I don't know. I feel I feel like looking around at every person you've ever known and every time you go somewhere, you seem to bring controversy. It seems like there's probably something to this. It's probably not everybody that you ever meet is just a liar who's like out to get you. Seems like maybe you might be the common denominator in all of these situations. No argument here. Regardless of what happened, Allison was gone. McAfee wasn't going to be held responsible for anything that did or didn't allegedly happen, but his troubles were only beginning. Around the same time, McAfee got word through his network of informants that someone named David Middleton planned on robbing him. Middleton then broke into McAfee's beachfront home and stole some of his belongings. McAfee tasked his personal driver with hiring three local gang members to find and rough up Middleton and teach him a lesson. He'd set an example in the town of what happens when you mess with old Mickey Fifi. Johnny MacMax? Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Mac Max, uh, old dirty John Z McAfee fee. Nah, it's not, that's not, that's not as good. Coffee fee. Coffee fee. That's what, that's what Kofifi was. It was, it was Trump trying to find McAfee, uh, antivirus software. <laughs> he just, he tried to type that into his search bar and accidentally tweeted it. The three men went to Middleton's home, kidnapped him, took him out into the woods on McAfee's compound in Orange Walk and brutally beat him. 
They tortured him, cutting him with a steak knife and shocking him all over his body with tasers. They took him back into town and dropped him in the middle of the street. His cries for help alerted surrounding residents and he was taken to the hospital but later died of his wounds. David Middleton's family received messages warning them not to look into the killing or else their lives would be in danger. And believe it or not, this isn't the guy that McAfee allegedly murdered. This is a different guy that McAfee allegedly murdered that isn't really counted in his track record of allegedly murdering people because he didn't kill him on purpose and just hired some shady guys who took it way too far. <laughs> Even though he totally murdered this guy. Yeah, well, that's a, it's an interesting thing because it's like in the in the story of of um of his life, you know, the the bullet points are no pun intended. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, you know, he 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 fled the country because of legal troubles. He lived in Belize. He like created a private army and like took over the town. He most likely uh, murdered some guy. But in in these bullet points of like what his deal is, it, it doesn't get mentioned or it kind of gets left out that he murdered two people. He killed two people that, that that just gets left out because one of them is like more direct. Like he actually was like, go kill that guy. They call that the uh, the Johnny Mac Mac special. It's where you just you get two murders, but you only get credited with one murder. Yeah. Two for the credit of one. But this one is like not as it's not like counted or doesn't get mentioned as much because it was you know the 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 details i guess were a little different where um it was like it was an accidental murder just an accidental murder (laughs) he didn't really mean to hire them to kill him but you know it ended there quickly after the news of middleton's death spread through the very tiny community of carmelita McAfee got word that one of Middleton's friends, a local gangster named Eddie McCoy, but better known as Mac-10, because he was known for killing people with a Mac-10 submachine gun, was looking for him to take revenge. He also learned that Mac-10 was identified by the Belizean government as extremely dangerous. This was pretty much the worst case scenario that his fears and paranoia had been focused on for most of his time in Belize. It was the reason why he had amassed an army of gang members and cops, and why he had bribed and bought nearly every governmental official and gang leader in town. Mac-10 also got word through the grapevine that McAfee was trying to track him down to kill him. For a few weeks, this became a weird game of telephone or cat and mouse where both parties were trying to escape being found by the other one's goons while also trying to figure out how to get the drop on them first. It was like the darkest who's on first routine ever. Yeah, or like, what's that, the Mad Magazine strip, Spy versus Spy? Yeah, oh yeah, Spy, that's a, that's a better, that's a way better description. It was, it was that. It was Spy versus Spy. It was, it was Mac versus Mac. <laughs> oh my God! Yes! Yes! Yeah, it was Mac versus Mac. I did have the thought that it was funny that they both have MC, I guess, Irish names or whatever, but I, that's perfect. Yeah. Mac versus Mac, 100%. <laughs> I've done my job. Mac-10 grew out his beard and hair and started hiding out so he couldn't be found by McAfee's men while he worked on a plan to kill McAfee first. Finally, McAfee called Mac-10 at his house and arranged a public meeting, which is I just find funny that they were like hiding out from each other and like trying to avoid being caught by their men. And then he was just like, I'm just going to call him. Let's squash the beef, bro. Let's squash this beef. The two met up and each accused the other of trying to kill him. But when they realized they were both more scared of the other killing them, 
they decided to instead be friends, and McAfee offered to hire Mac-10 to be one of his men. Another bullet in McAfee's massive gun of Belizean power. It went from Mac-V-Mac to Mac-Ampersand-Mac. It was it was literally like, wait a minute, no, you're trying to kill me. No, what? No, you're trying to kill me. Wait, no, you, I'm trying, you think I'm trying to kill you? I, I thought you were trying to kill me. And then they just like laughed it off. They were just like, what a, what a couple of goofballs we are. Kitty, last night I was hiding in a trash can. This is just too, this is just too stressful. I don't want to, I don't want to worry about being a homicidal maniac anymore. Let's just be homies. Let's just hang out. I cannot believe that you were out there like, oh, I, John McAfee's trying to kill me. And I was like over here being like, Matt Tain's trying to kill me. And we were like, it was almost like we we're, we're, we're in these different locations, but we're looking up at the same moon, like that scene in, in American Tale when Fievel and his sister. Somewhere out there, there's a homicidal maniac lurking for me. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you just picture a couple of a couple of schmucks just freaking out over nothing. Mac ten, Mac ten. Look at my eyes right now. Look at these eyes. Do these eyes look like the eyes of a fucking murderer? No, no. They're the eyes of a lover. Mac ten. They're the eyes of a friend. They're the eyes of an Xbox second player. I will let you have the first controller. Mac ten. Do you like DMT? Do you like prostitutes? Do you like DMT and prostitutes? Look, Mac-10, look, let's stop trying to kill each other and let's start trying to kill some prostitutes. Before this montage starts, Mackie Baby, Johnny Mac Max, I just have to clarify, just because of the nature of our lives and the fact that I'm labeled as extremely dangerous by the Belizean government, when you say kill prostitutes, do you mean kill prostitutes or is that like a expression for like, fuck a bunch of prostitutes? Camera slowly zooms in on John McAfee's face as he just nods, recreating the Jack Nicholson <laughs> gif. spinning newspaper whips into frame 10 prostitutes in belize dead at the hands of mac ampersand mac i want to make that show i want to make that sitcom (laughs) mac and mac (laughs) also i just need to state for the listener that joke works on like three different levels because one that joke works just as like a reference to that gif but that joke also is specifically an a-, a joke aimed at Andrew because his favorite gif of all time is that gif of Jack Nicholson smiling and nodding emphatically and whenever uh whenever we're having conversations or something and and I I need to make my 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 papa pricey guy give a little bit of the chuckle i i send it to him because i know it makes him laugh every time so that's why that joke landed like extra hard for him <laughs> it works it works on multiple levels and it also even works on like another level because the reason why i think that gif is so funny i mean it's i think it's just funny it's just a funny gif it's like it's just a, a hilarious reaction to something when you're when you're wanting to like in like you know say like fuck yeah but also, it's just so funny to me. Like, you watch that gif out of context, and you're like, I can't believe this is a scene. This is a shot from that movie. Like, I can't imagine this so over-the-top, ridiculous, like, overtly, like, uh exaggerated head nod and, like, facial expression actually being in this real movie. Like, it's so funny to me. That it's a real thing that was in that, that was actually in The Departed. 
but out of context, it's just, it's so, it's, it's so perfect for anything that you really want to like, like say fuck yeah to. <laughs> um, speaking of emphatically saying fuck yeah to something, McAfee also got addicted to prostitutes. At any- <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's such a it's such a beautifully simple sentence. McAfee also got addicted to prostitutes. He just, you know, he tried one at a party once and was just, you know, he couldn't say no from that moment on. He was just always imbibing. You can't have just one. At any given time, he'd have upwards of six women living in his house and he'd pay for days long sessions with local Belizean prostitutes. I live a lifestyle which might be over the line of normal behavior. It's a lot of fun. I get to hang out with cute girls who are scantily clad. I do have teenage girlfriends, and many at a time. Nothing illegal. They're well beyond the age of consent, and I I see nothing wrong with it, and if you do, then that's okay. How many girlfriends do he have? Ooh. (laughs) I can't keep count. Um, I would say at least five or six girls, you know, that live in the house. That was my first time. I was ashamed, but then I got used to it. What did he have you do? Um, sit on this hammock. The hammock has a, ha- a hole. He puts you in a hammock. And after that, he lies on the hammock. Yeah, he would cut, cut a little hole, and he would sit there. Because he, he wanted to have, like, Scott sex, and I didn't agree with that. What is Scott sex? I mean, you... Poop in someone's mouth. He used to make you shit in his mouth. <laughs> I've never had do, done that before, and it was an experience for me. And... Did he ever have regular intercourse, like vaginal intercourse? No, no. None of that. That was the only thing I did. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if it like something got lost and didn't word it properly or not. But apparently, according to what they said, like we're talking about him like getting all these prostitutes and becoming addicted to prostitutes. But I think they said that he never actually had actual sex with any of the prostitutes. They just shit into his mouth. I, I'm not sure if that meant that like they never had regular intercourse that like didn't involve shitting. But it seems like they said that he only ever had them shit in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe what I'm in this conversation. I think I think specifically that was that one girl was like, he didn't want to fuck me. He just wanted me to shit in his mouth. Oh, okay. Yeah, just, there's, the way, the way there's, it was structured, it was like. Yeah, cause, especially because like later he gets married to one of the, he gets married to one of the prostitutes and she is very like, he's loving to have sex, blah, 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 in a bunch of interviews that I watched where it was just like, this is weird. It's really strange. I don't need to know this, but also I'm like weirdly fascinated, but also like he just wants you to sit in a hammock and shit in his mouth. Bro, what the fuck are you doing? You maniac. 
Because remember, he said like, because there's another interview. It's not in that documentary, but it's in a different documentary that we both watched. There's there's a girl who talks about how the chemicals that he were on gave him an increased libido, but a decreased sensitivity. So he would have sex for literally all day. Yeah, yeah. The 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 bath salts that I was talking about earlier that he called super perv powder. They they gave him like they gave him like unquenchable erections that would like last for like a day, like all day. And so they would like have these sessions where it wasn't like, oh, like we're going to do this real quick or like, oh, it's going to be a couple hours. It's like you're going to be here for like three days and we're just going to stay in this bed the whole time. That's that's a hell of a thing there, John McAfee. Johnny Mac Mac. It's a hell of a thing. McAfee thought he was untouchable because he had the local police in his back pocket and a huge entourage of gang members on his payroll and a, just a stomach full of shit, head full of ether and a stomach full of shit. A stomach full, a stomach full of both his shit and other people's shit. Like just there's just shit everywhere in John McAfee's life. However, in April of 2012, McAfee's Orange Walk compound was raided by the GSU, the Gun Suppression Unit. They are a special unit of police in Belize who claim to not be able to be bribed and therefore are immune to McAfee's tactics of buying off authorities and pocketing them to amass more power. There was no doubt that McAfee was doing some shady shit in Belize, but the reason why the GSU raided his property was actually a total misunderstanding. Because of McAfee's image, the entourage, and security detail he traveled around in, and his wild lifestyle, the Belizean government was convinced he was mass-producing narcotics on his Orange Walk compound, when in actuality, it was meant to genuinely be a laboratory for experimenting with new forms of antibiotics. They ultimately found nothing in terms of illegal narcotic production. I mean, I mean, but also, like, can you blame them? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, number one, you can't blame them, and number two... There was tons of other shit he was doing. Like, it, 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 no pun intended. Yeah, yeah. He because he didn't happen to be also like mass producing fucking heroin. Like that that didn't that that didn't absolve him of. Yeah, I think I think uh, the old the Johnny Mac Mac special is like I want to I want to mass produce political corruption. That's like I wake up in the morning and I'm just like ah. Gotta inspire some more corruption this morning. I need to shave. I need to take a shower. I need to shit out the shit, the double shit. Can't you get like really sick from that? Yeah, for sure. I guess that's so crazy. You think he? Well, I guess maybe he. Maybe he didn't eat it. Maybe he just enjoyed the sensation of having shit. He spit in it his into mouth. a bucket, like when you taste when you test wine when you go on a wine tasting tour. <laughs> 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 He's got like multiple hammocks with multiple women and he's just like going and laying down under all of them. And he's like, mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, God, mm. you've weaponized, you've weaponized our lip smacking for evil. <laughs> oh. Mm. <laughs> oh, God, it's mm. it's so terrible. Oh, it's so terrible. I don't I know that there are, are people who are not like murderous, horrible people that are into that. And I don't want to like shame them but like i don't know man <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah it's not my not my thing either but also like it's not just like it's not even like two girls one cup you know like it's not it's not just like the excess version of the idea it's like 6x you know like it's like i'm going to keep a house full of people specifically where i'm just going to pay them to hang out until I want them to shit in my fucking face. Just rotate around, taking turns, shitting in my face. Like, just big love with fucking Bill Paxton. But it's just Chloe Savini just shitting in his mouth. 
Uh, ladies, uh, thank you for coming and joining the Order of the Pink Eye. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I wonder if I wonder if you did get pink eye a lot. I I don't want to know the diseases that are lurking within. That's the real evil within. Whatever is in John McAfee, that is the real evil within. Yes. He was, however, arrested for possession of illegal firearms and put in a Belizean jail for a couple days before the U.S. Embassy was able to intervene and get him released. And though it seems pretty clear that he had just gotten majorly on the radar of the GSU with his constant shenanigans and blatant corrupt power grabs, McAfee claims that the actual reason for the raid was because he refused to donate $2 million to a local politician. He says that one day a strange man came to his door suggesting he should donate the amount to the politician, but when McAfee refused, the man started making veiled threats against his life. McAfee claims he pulled out a gun and told the man to get the fuck off his property, and his problems with the government began shortly afterward. He's held onto that claim as the linchpin of his story about quote-unquote what really happened during his time in Belize to this day. He became even more paranoid about people trying to kill him after this, so he abandoned the Orange Walk compound and moved back to his beach house in San Pedro. However, his antics, entourage, guns, and packs of dogs scared and disturbed other people, largely vacationing Americans, who also lived on the beach of San Pedro. He started butting heads with a new neighbor named Gregory Fall. Greg had moved to San Pedro to relax, and he planned on having a career building houses for locals. He hated McAfee because he wanted to relax but felt constantly on edge because of the guns and the dogs. He especially hated the dogs. They would constantly patrol the beach off-leash, terrorizing people. Greg Fall claimed he went to talk with McAfee about the dogs and asked him to do something about them, but that McAfee pulled out a shotgun and told him to get off his property. At this point, friends advised that Greg go to the police with the issue, and he did, but the complaint was not taken care of. McAfee still had the police in the area in his back pocket. A few days after Greg had confronted McAfee, all of McAfee's dogs were found poisoned. They were foaming at the mouth and in a tremendous amount of pain. Members of McAfee's entourage say that this was the first time they'd ever seen him cry. He is said to have grabbed a shotgun and personally shot all of the dogs to put them out of their misery. McAfee immediately suspected Fall. Employees and members of his entourage remember that he started talking about how he was going to kill him. The next day, Greg was at a lounge drinking with his friends. He left at 10 p.m. and walked home. He left a friend a message that night saying that someone was in his yard. The friend offered to call the police, but he told them not to. The next day, Fall was found dead in his home. He had been shot in the head, execution style, and was lying in a pool of his own blood. Andrew, would you say that he was a Fall guy? I would. He took the fall for those dogs. Better watch where you step, Greg. You don't want to fall. I don't know, Greg. Uh, it seems like you're messing with some stuff that there's really only one thing that can happen from here. You're going to fall. <laughs> that was a long walk. We were fall. Went home. That's your time. He left me a message that night saying that there's somebody in my yard. And I said, do you want me to come up? No, no. He says, it's okay. I just wanted you to know. He was nervous, that's why he called me. He says, um, I don't feel good about it. The next day, Mr. Fall was found dead. In the morning, early, my nephew, Finn, calls me and he says, uh, Tio, have you heard? I said, heard what, Finn? He says, Greg is dead. I says, oh shit. I still can't believe it. He was found upstairs in his living room, on his back, in a pool of blood, about 7 a.m. by the housekeeper. She found the door open, and the TV was on. The cause of that was the massive 
trauma, brain damage due to gunshot wound. It was from close range. There's no sign of burglary. Nothing was missing. The place wasn't ransacked. It just appeared that he had basically been executed. He was shot probably while sitting down. It appears that the body was moved around because you can see where the blood was smeared on the floor. And were there any other marks on his body? Well, he had marks in his side and marks on his back. And not only once, but it's all, all his back was always red. His whole body covered in taser marks, which were not necessary. Sometimes I have visions of what happens when you get shot in the head. And I just can't believe it ever happened to my son. So which one of us is going to make a fall pun next? Yeah, it got, it got dark. It's so sad. I'm glad you got those puns out of the way before I played the clip. Yeah. yeah it's so fucked up, man. Like, John McAfee fucking murdered that dude. Like, he went in there and just fucking murked him yeah i mean it's like you know we've talked about on previous episodes post-truth and people ha you know crafting realities and manifesting and you know the, in this story there's two and i and i mean this in more than one way you know there's two realities of this whole thing there's john mcafee's reality of what he says happened and then there's this other reality of these, you know, all these other events and the people who say that they happened in a different way. And they said that he did this and that and he was involved in X, Y, Z thing and he killed this guy and he was involved in killing the other guy. There's these two different realities. And, you know, when I say that, I mean both literally that that is the story that John McAfee tells versus the story that these other people tell. But then there's also these two different manifested realities that you can, that are kind of curated for you based on that information, because you can watch this documentary and you watch, you know, what these people are saying and, you know, this guy breaking down and crying and the dad breaking down and crying. And it's really dark and really sad. And it really hits you. And even if hypothetically it's not true and he didn't do it, this side of it, watching this and seeing these people talk about these things, it's really dark and really sobering and really sad. But then you watch the crafted, manifested reality that John McAfee has built around him with all of the different media interviews that he's done and all the countless clips of him that you can find on YouTube of him being interviewed, talking about, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to reference this a little later on in the episode when we get to the later stuff, him just sitting and interviewing people and just laughing and joking and, uh, you know, just with that guy we were talking about earlier, that, that news reporter, and just talking about cryptocurrency and talking about like, oh, you've lived a crazy life. You lived in Belize and did all these crazy things. And you started this company and left it after like a year. And then, you know, blah, 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 blah. And oh, John, that's hilarious. And oh, you, you think that Bitcoin is going to be valued at a million per coin by 2020 or whatever. And this whole aspect of it is like, it's not a part of that. It doesn't exist in that reality. These people just com completely gloss over it. And he's like crafted a world where this stuff never happened. And he can just sit and talk with some like local newscaster about how cryptocurrency is the rep is the future or whatever. And it's it's crazy to see. It's crazy to watch this and then juxtapose it with these interviews that he's done since then, where he's just sitting there being like, yeah, like Dogecoin. Invest in Dogecoin. I like people shitting in my mouth. Yeah, but that's not part of your reality either, your crafted reality. Much like McAfee had suspected fall for the poisoning of his dogs, 
the Belizean government just as quickly suspected McAfee for the murder. The GSU was deployed to his San Pedro beach house, but McAfee allegedly dug a big hole in the sand a few yards away from his house and hid inside with a cardboard box over his head until the raid was over. After the GSU left his house, he went on the run. He'd never returned to his beach house again, and he was about to face the fight of his life to cling on to the freedom he had come all this way for. Act 3. The Good, the Bad, and the McAfee John McAfee fled his San Pedro beach house and went to Belize City, where the police started looking for him based on an anonymous tip that he had gone there. He put powder in his hair, put on baggy clothes, and started walking hunched over with a cane to try and avoid being recognized. Every night, trusted members of his entourage would secure a new location for him to move so he'd never be in the same place two days in a row. What does powder in his hair mean? Is that like... I'm going to show you in a second. Because I'm picturing him as like... I'm picturing him as wearing like an old quote unquote powdered wig. It's nothing you could imagine is what it is. A murder in paradise. Police launch a full-scale search for an eccentric American titan, John McAfee. Breaking news from Belize. John McAfee, who's been on John McAfee is a person of interest. An American tech mogul at the center of an international murder mystery. Tonight, McAfee is being hunted for questioning in the murder of his neighbor. We had CNN in English. We had CNN in Spanish, NBC, NBC, the whole alphabet. If you're fearing for your safety, why not just go in and tell them what you don't know about this murder? If I am detained, this is where people just simply disappear. They choke on their own vomit or hang themselves or are beaten to death by fellow prisoners. McAfee claimed he had nothing to do with the murder, that it was actually the Belizean government that had poisoned his dogs and killed Greg Fall to frame him for the murder because of his refusal to donate to the unnamed politician. It was later speculated that perhaps one of his girlfriends, Amy Emschwiller, might have been responsible for the murder. Some of her dogs had also been poisoned, and it was well known to everyone in Belize that she had attempted to kill John McAfee in order to rob him multiple times. One of your girlfriends, for example, tried to kill you a few times, so, I mean... It could have been her, couldn't it? More than one of my girlfriends tried to kill me a few times. Could have been one of them, couldn't it? I mean, it could have been anybody. This is the, these are just the facts. The fact that you tried to kill John McAfee a couple of times makes you look kind of like a volatile person. Maybe uh, I am. I don't know. Yeah. And, and then that, that kind of leads you to question whether you were somehow involved in the murder of Greg Fall. Sure it does, but I didn't. Have you heard other people yes. saying that? Suspecting that you had something to do with it? Yes. Other Belizeans or foreigners? Or? Foreigners and Belizeans too. Mm-hmm. And what, does it, it doesn't bother you? No. She says she was nowhere near Fall's house on the night of the murder. But considering her own beloved dog was amongst the animals poisoned that night, it's surprising that police never questioned her. Did the police ever talk to you, interview you? No. Really? No, they never did because I wasn't here. Okay. It does seem odd to me that they wouldn't have wanted to talk to you because... You I would heard they wanna... wanted to talk to me, but uh, John gave me money and whatnot to go to Guatemala and st- I stayed there for a while. I never came to the island. And why was that? Why? Yeah. Because I didn't want anybody to question me or lock me up for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I guess John didn't want that too, so. God, what a fucking life this guy leads. 
You'd think you'd break up with somebody after the first time they attempt to kill you and rob you. Yeah, the Amy, uh, in addition to a couple others, but namely her, just on several occasions had just like attempted to kill him so that she could like rob him and steal all his money. And her, their their attempts were thwarted. And every time that every time that they were thwarted, they would just kind of be like, "Oh, well, that didn't work. Want want me to shit in your mouth?" <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I was going to, my bit was going to be, I was going to go, oh man, that's, that's a fucked up relationship. She must have had a really good tasting shit. <laughs> it's just that version of that joke where it's like the sex must have been great or whatever, but it's like her shit must have tasted like cotton candy. <laughs> You know how people are like, oh, my God, dead ass. Well, you know. Oh, my God. The contents of dead ass. <laughs> this episode, this episode's going to bring out some weird, weird sides of our uh, our fan base. We're going to get a bunch of comments on the Facebook group or, or emails of people being like, you got to stop scat shaming. Yeah, we're, this is what we're going to get canceled for. <laughs> Yeah, the, the pro scat in Twitter lobby is just going to fucking latch onto this. Scat Twitter is having a field day with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, there there 100% is a scat Twitter. Like, that's not even a joke. Like, there definitely is one. But it's it's half people who are really into motherfuckers shitting on them and then half DJ Scat Cat fans. That, like, that they somehow, like, all were using the same hashtags and they got all mixed up and they're just like, fuck. And then, like, their their communities are just, like, inextricably intermingled and they just can't separate. They're kind of, they're both kind of, like, resentful of it. The MC Scat Cat fans are just like, oh, man, like, I, I don't want to have to see all these weird pictures of people eating shit all the time. I hate this. And then the, and then the, the scat porn enthusiasts are just like, ah, oh, like, that song sucks. <laughs> and then there's that one guy who's just on Twitter making DJ scat cat scat porn. Yeah, he's like, he's like, this is the best case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag scat for life. However, not one to avoid an opportunity to be the center of the spotlight despite risking being arrested on suspicions of murder, McAfee also had his employees arrange to have him give in-person interviews with news organizations in an attempt to clear his name. I had some sleepless nights because I'd have to get up and move him to another location. Then I start meeting journalists. He um, contacted the press because he said he wanted to clear his side of the story and why he is on the run. The search to find John McAfee began right here at the airport, not long after I landed. And it began with three simple words. Sorry, I'm late. A prearranged code word to let me know I'd met the person who would take me to McAfee. And so we get in this cab and take off on just a crazy drive through Belize City. It was like a bad movie. We were doing, you know, switchbacks and turnarounds, and then it's like, get up, get up. And then we, re he's like, no, get in there. And it's another cab we get in. It's not the Belize you see in the travel pictures. You know, this is not the pretty part. And then eventually we stop in the parking lot of a really low rent looking hotel. When we finally got to John McAfee, he's wearing an outlandish disguise kind of like an old man with a crippled arm, powder in his hair to make himself look old. 
and he's walking with a cane. John McAfee is coming towards us. Only it wasn't John McAfee. It was John McAfee in really, in a really bad disguise. We all knew it was John McAfee. But your problem is you really want to talk to him. And I'm afraid that if I say, hey, John, how you doing? He's going to explode and, and storm off and our opportunity to interview him would be lost. So we did what we thought was the prudent thing to do and that was ignore him. We get up to his hotel room and 20 seconds later, he bursts into the room and the shawl he had over his shoulders, he flings off and he shakes his hair of all this powder. Fooled you, didn't I? And of course you're like, yeah, you sure did. It looks like he just had like powder, like like gymnast powder. Okay, so look, so look, that's that's it. That's what, that's his disguise. He's just like caked in cocaine. He's just got, he's got literal powder just in his hair and mustache. Why? literal just powder and then he's walking around with a with the powder in his hair a cane he's hunched over and then he's holding one of his arms up like this as if like he's got some kind of like physical disability where his arm is just like stuck like this that was his disguise that's just john mcafee with a cane and powder in his hair though with his arm up like this though yeah like that's not what (laughs) Like what do you what do you think that is? Do you think uh, do you think that that is like him just so so delusional that he's just like lost his mind and he genuinely thinks that that was a great disguise and that they just did not recognize him, or do you think that that was him like in some weird way just like fucking with them and like pretending like he thought it was a good disguise because he just thought it was funny? I think there's probably two versions of that, right? I think there's like part of it is probably yeah he is so delusional and he also has so much money that like. He's made his own reality. Yeah, it's like yes men syndrome where just like he's never been told no. So he just thinks everything he does is perfect because nobody's ever said that sucks. And then the other part of that, I think, is probably a coping mechanism where he's so scared for his own life that like this makes him feel like he's safe. So it doesn't matter if it really works or not. He needs to believe it works because he thinks it's the only thing protecting him. Yeah. Of of everything of any of this stuff i would love the one thing if i had an opportunity to talk to him and it was like you only have three minutes and you can't do like a full-blown like exploratory interview you have three minutes to talk to john mcafee the one thing out of all this stuff i would love to ask him if i only had one option was for him to explain that costume and what his thought process was going into that you know that your costume is shitty when jamie kennedy experiments costumes are better (laughs) Hundred percent. I mean, just Jamie Kennedy now is a great disguise where you can barely tell it's Jamie Kennedy. He did a bunch of media interviews. And at that point, people started recognizing him from TV and he could no longer hide out in Belize. He needed to get out of the country. So basically, he just like destroyed any amount of an anonymity he had to like be able to hide out and walk within the city because he was blasting his face out onto every news channel. So people started being like, oh, that's John McAfee. Like, I know I knew who John McAfee was. He paid for my fucking mortgage, but I didn't know what his face looked like. I'd never seen him. And now everybody knows what he's looked like. So he he just can't hide anymore. McAfee hid out in the back of his driver's car as he talked his way through several checkpoints. And eventually they reached the Belizean border. McAfee, his driver, and his main girlfriend got on a boat and crossed over into Guatemala, where his driver dropped them off and went back to Belize. 
McAfee was once again free and clear of any trouble he had gotten himself into in Belize. He was a globe-trotting renegade, wreaking havoc in every country he touched and then balling it up and tossing it in the trash as he went on to the next place, completely free and clear of any repercussions for his actions, or so he thought. McAfee could have very well gotten away scot-free. However, he invited Vice TV to come out and interview him in Guatemala. He was obsessed with getting attention from everyone, even when he was actively trying to hide from multiple governments. During this interview, one of the Vice journalists took a picture of him with their iPhone. The picture was used as the main feature image in an article about McAfee that ran on their website. What they or John didn't realize is that the image had been stamped with GPS location information when it was taken, as any smartphone photos do unless you turn off that setting. And intelligence in the U.S. and Belize were able to figure out he had escaped into Guatemala. And although they had no jurisdiction to come and arrest him, he was now wanted in Guatemala for entering the country illegally. McAfee's girlfriend, who had come across the border with him, mentioned that she had an uncle who was a lawyer named Telesforo Guerra, and McAfee hired him to represent him and help keep him out of jail. During another interview with Vice, Interpol, who had tracked his location, showed up and arrested him, and they caught the entire thing on camera. Whenever I hear Interpol, the first thing I think of is Inspector Zenigata from Lupin the Third, because that was the first time I had ever heard of Interpol. So now I'm imagining Inspector Zenigata, who shout out to my friend Philip Wilburn, who was the voice of Inspector Zenigata. But I imagine him arresting John McAfee, which is very funny to me. I just think of the band. So like, it was a You see, it's funny because whenever the band came out, whenever I hear the band, I think of Inspector Zenigata. That's the that's my frame of reference for Interpol. John McAfee. Please come with us. You've got to go away for a long time now. You're going to share a cell with another globetrotting thief that I've been chasing for years. Every time I try to catch him, I can't get him. He always escapes. He's one step ahead. Also, fun fact, did you know that? Inspector Gadget was originally supposed to be an American adaptation of Lupin the Third, but then the licensing deal fell through at the last minute, and then they had the show and the crew and everything put together, but then they couldn't actually use the Lupin the Third name or property, so they quickly changed it to Inspector Gadget. I did not know that, but you just blew my mind. What the fuck? <laughs> you just blew my goddamn mind. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, but also that's just fucking crazy. Wow. That's every, every, that all goes through my mind whenever I hear Interpol. Everything that just happened. <laughs> Dave just did the, the Jack Nicholson departed nod. <laughs> I just did that. I just did the Jack Nicholson crazy smile for like <laughs> two, two minutes. <laughs> it doesn't make great podcasting if I'm just, yeah, like everyone, everyone's funny just like faces. sitting there being like, what the fuck is going on? McAfee was put in a Guatemalan jail. The next day, the Guatemalan government was looking to deport him back to Belize. McAfee's new lawyer showed up and said that he wouldn't be able to file an appeal to the deportation until 3 o'clock, several hours later. Until then, they could deport him without opposition. McAfee needed to buy some time. So, he faked a fucking heart attack in his prison cell, and he was rushed to a hospital. I fucking love it. I love it! Literally, like, you hear of people trying to fake heart attacks during things like that but they always like it always fails the people don't believe them and they're just like get up stop this he like threw himself into it he was like full method acting like he, he like sold it he fully sold it he went full red fox on those motherfuckers i love it i love it so they're much like, oh shit john mcafee is gonna die he's he's having a real heart attack right now 
We need to get an ambulance in here. We need to get paramedics. Come on. Shh. Clear. Oh, God. Again, Daddy. Again. I mean, oh, my heart attack. <laughs> he was he was doubling up. He was killing two birds with one stone. He was he was buying time. And he was also he's like, I also have a uh, Flatliners Joel Schumacher fetish. <laughs> Once three o'clock rolled around, his lawyer filed the appeal and McAfee miraculously recovered and said he felt better. Like, he wasn't even subtle about it. He literally just sat up in his hospital bed and was like, ah, never mind, false alarm. Once his lawyer confirmed the appeal had been filed. I would have personally kept the act up until I knew the appeal had been accepted just to hedge my bets, but I guess that's what separates John McAfee from normal people. That and shitting in his mouth. Now that the appeal had been filed, Guatemala would have to keep McAfee in prison for 15 years before they could attempt to deport him again. And since they didn't want to keep him in prison for that long, they instead deported him to Miami, Florida, which is exactly what McAfee wanted. Can you fucking believe it? He fucked around with shady business deals for decades in the U.S., was facing mounting legal trouble, escaped to Belize, was involved in the brutal murder of two men, escaped to Guatemala, was arrested for illegal immigration, and then escaped back to where he had originally started from in the United States, narrowly escaping facing any kind of consequences for literally anything he did at every single turn. He never even, like, paid a parking ticket. Give me liberty or give me fucking death. With McAfee back in the U.S. and absolutely no eyewitnesses for the murder of Greg Fall, he was essentially a free man. The only way that Belize could assemble a case for having McAfee extradited back to Belize from Florida is if they could prove with forensic evidence that he was directly involved in the murder. There were hair and fingernail samples found at the scene of the crime. However, Belize doesn't have a forensic lab or any forensic technology to be able to analyze the evidence. And so they basically can't prove anything. How do you get, how do you get fingernail clippings? He's, just, he's sitting there just biting his nails while murdering a dude? I mean, I'm assuming that it was probably a situation where he was like grabbing him and then like clawing at him or something like that. And his fingernail broke off. But yes, he was he was sitting there and he's like, he's like, I don't know if I have the nerve to do this. It was like a cartoon. It was like a Looney Tunes cartoon where he was like, he was like chewing his fingernails like a corn cob. Yeah. Or like a typewriter where it would, res- it would reset at the beginning. Bing! Bing! <laughs> and then he shot him in the fucking head. Belize has never convicted a murder based on forensic evidence. They've convicted one murder based on fingerprints in the country's entire history. And the rest of their crimes have been solved exclusively through eyewitness accounts and self-confessions. So, you know, it's like fucking the Greek chorus of third eye blinds semi-charmed life (laughs) bellowing from the heavens like this dude at every turn it's like it's like he's the unluckiest lucky person ever it's kind of like you know the the jinx or whatever that you know the name of that documentary series about about uh robert durst how he was like the you know the the unluckiest lucky person ever but i feel like john mcafee deserves that title more because at every turn, it's like everything exactly works out where like he's never really particularly successful. His plans are always being foiled and he never quite gets what he wants. But he also just like Mr. Magoo's his way through like fucking murdering people and everything just happens to work out where he doesn't have to be held accountable for it. During the production of the 2016 Showtime documentary, Gringo, The Dangerous Life of John McAfee, where we've pulled a lot of these clips from. Director Nanette Burstein spoke with many of McAfee's close friends, girlfriends, employees, neighbors, and 
Other people acquainted with him in Belize. One of them was Cassian, who was an employee of McAfee's that he entrusted with paying people and handling his money. For the documentary, Cassian revealed that the day after McAfee's dogs were poisoned, McAfee told Cashan to go put $5,000 into the bank account of Mac-10, the gang member that McAfee had previously hired to avoid him taking revenge for the death of his friend, John Middleton. Cashan then said that the night after he had deposited the money in Mac-10's account, Mac-10 called him at 4 in the morning and asked to be picked up. Cashan then went and picked Mac-10 up from a spot 600 feet from Greg Fall's house. Cashan was never questioned about the murder. After the documentary was released, Kashan was then filmed claiming he had lied to Burstein for the McAfee documentary, and that the film production had paid him to make the claims about paying off Mac-10 and picking him up from near Greg Fall's house later that night. We don't go into all the details, I just want to make known to the world that John McAfee is a man who has always looked after the marginalized people and the poor people of Belize. He would never, ever hire or kill someone. So I said, yeah, I know that. I said, well, can you tell us about that? Then I told her, you know, if you want that type of interview, it will cost you like $30,000. And then she came back like two or three hours after, and she said, you know, Kashan, I can only offer you $10,000 to do an interview. $10,000 in Belize is a lot of money for 30 minutes, you know. So I started to think what I can improvise, what lies I can fabricate, to make it credible for her. So I accepted and I realized that I'm going to improvise. And so whatever I told Nanette on that interview was a pure fabrication of my imagination. The camera pans over and John McAfee standing there with a Mac-10. <laughs> Mac-10 Mac is standing there with a Mac-10. First of all, I'm impressed at how that guy can speak in one uninterrupted run-on sentence. Like that was like that was some minutes. James Joyce shit. <laughs> that was the Ulysses of YouTube videos. Um, let's let's watch a little bit of more definitely true, definitely real, not just paid off to say this testimonials of some of the people interviewed in the documentary who claim that they were paid to lie. These people are definitely telling the truth when they're saying this. There's not a guy holding up a giant burlap sack with dollar bills off camera waving it at them as they say these things. Last year, about this time, Showtime had contacted me to do an interview. I declined about twice. They called back and they said, call my shots, how much I wanted. They would pay me any amount to say lies about Jan and about the murder in San Pedro, which I have no knowledge about. Showtime had actually told me what to say. And part of it, or most of, most of it was a lie. And he was actually this type of person that would actually help people. He was a nice person. He, he loved animals, especially dogs, and, and guns. But yeah, besides all of that, he was, I felt happy that I met him because he actually changed my world a little bit then <laughs> well I did one interview with Showtime some of the stuff that I said was true and some were lies John McCaffrey wherever you are you are missed by me and they were insisting me to say a lie that John killed the white man in San Pedro which is 
it is a lie. John would have never do that. And they keep on forcing me to say that he did it. But which is, he didn't do it. And I believe so because he was a good man. John. And I respect him. These videos are almost more incriminating. They, it's, they really are. Yeah, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. They're more incriminating. I am definitely not someone who needs this $25 that this man is going to give me to say that I was lying because before I was lying and right now I am definitely not lying. I am uh, from Belize and I am totally not needing this money and uh, thank you very much for this money that you are giving me right now for telling the truth, not lying like I was before. I was paid to lie by, looks off camera, reads a sign, Showtime to lie about John McAfee. He is a great man. Uh, he didn't write this speech. He didn't write this whole thing, despite the fact that it probably would have been better if somebody else had written it that wouldn't have written it in such an overtly, I wrote this way. This is like something from a cartoon that like a, a villain would do that would be like so transparently obvious that he did it, that it would be funny and comedic. There's also the added wrinkle to this story, which we are have not said yet, in that that video was uploaded to John McAfee's personal YouTube account. Both of those videos, that long uh, video of Kasyan speaking in a single run-on sentence for 10 minutes, and that montage, it's on John McAfee's personal YouTube account. Not only that, but that video, the little, the video we just watched clips of, it's on there twice. There's just two versions of the same video that have like a different thumbnail, but it's the same video twice. You love to see it. But in an even more confusing turn of events, Burstein called Cassian on the phone and asked him why he said this, to which he said that someone had shown up at his house, presumably at the request of McAfee, and offered to pay him a lot of money to claim that he had lied in the documentary. So all these people had apparently agreed to be interviewed for the documentary for money, Cassian claiming he had been paid 10,000 American dollars for his interview alone, told the truth, or at least their version of the truth, and then McAfee paid some of his Belizean loyalists to approach them and offer to pay them even more money to appear on camera and claim that they lied on the documentary, but then later admitted to the director of the documentary that they had lied about lying. There aren't many winners in this story. It's pretty tragic. A lot of people got fucked over or exploited. And as we'll come to find out, McAfee himself didn't even win in the end. But there's one silver lining to this whole thing. All those Belizeans made fucking bank. Hey, hey! These Belizeans are like, I don't give a fuck. You can say whatever you want in your documentary. I'll say whatever I'm about in this video. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a, I'm going to buy an island. I'm going to buy my own island, my own little private island. Cassian is like, tonight, somebody's shitting in my mouth. <laughs> He's like, everything is coming up, Cassian. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's the thing that he does whenever he gets money. He's like, it's, it's my day. And then he just walks into a room with like 10 women all sitting in hammocks. <laughs> With shit slits <laughs> cut in the fucking seats. 
Do you think John McAfee had like, you know, those like skateboard style things that like auto body mechanics like lay down on and slide underneath cars? Do you think he had like a custom one of those made so he could like slide around from like hammock to hammock? At a certain point, for sure. Like what? not at first, but then as he got better at it and got sort of more adept at, you know, walking in and out of every room and got more efficient at one point he was like you know i need one of those little slidey things that like mechanics have that would that would be perfect my back is a little my back is hurting yeah the day after mcafee returned to miami he met a prostitute named janice dyson that ended up becoming his girlfriend and eventually his wife he was living it up in miami as if the entire Belize episode had never happened their meet cute is like the best thing ever where like in interviews they're talking about it and uh, janice says that because they they met the day he got there he's like he got off the plane and he's just walking around like in a daze. Like he's just like the last several years are just kind of like washing over him like a dream where he's like, man, like I just went to a, like a tropical island and just like fucking had an army. And I like took over the whole town and I like killed some dudes and I had all these prostitutes shitting in my mouth. And then I just left and I'm just here now. And I'm like, what? Do, what's my next step? And she approached him and she said that she... She just walked up to him and she said, you look like you need a blowjob. And he did. Because she said that he looked like he needed a blowjob. And he said yes. And then they got married. It's really romantic, honestly. Yeah. It's also kind of funny, though, to just know so much about him and know that, like, it starts with blowjob. But two days later, he's like, you want to shit in my mouth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always going there. It always starts starts small, but you know it, you know the hammock is coming out. Mm-hmm. It's called getting hammocked. It's called getting ham, ham, hammacked, ham, ham McAfeed. I don't know. There's something there. <laughs> there's, there's something for the ham, ham McAfee virus protection. There's something there. It's something there. And nothing could be pinned on him. He wasn't charged with any crimes. He wasn't wanted by the police. He was seemingly free to just live his life. He was the protagonist of some kind of fucked up Aesop's fable where the moral of the story was you can do whatever the hell you want, no matter who it hurts as long as you can just run really fast. And more importantly, he had never once sacrificed his freedom. Sure, he was actually imprisoned in multiple jails for weeks and spent a bunch of time in hiding, confined to small spaces, unable to move or speak freely for fear of being discovered. And he probably actually spent a majority of his time in Belize crippled by fear and paranoia of the government or the gangs coming to kill him which caused him to surround himself with armed guards and spent every waking moment conscious of his every step, which is like another kind of prison in and of itself. But nah, fuck that. It was worth it because he had weathered it all and he was back in the Big Lobster or whatever the hell they call Miami. And he was free, but believe it or not, the story just gets weirder. And let's just say this whole thematic thread about freedom is building to something. Act 4, Once Upon a Time in Miami. McAfee and his new girlfriend were living it up in Miami, spotted bustling around town, enjoying the rich coastal city nightlife, and McAfee was still addicted to the attention from the media just as much as he was addicted to whatever cocktail of drugs and alcohol he was currently indulging in. He would constantly appear in news interviews, taking any of the coverage he could get. He went on an all-out media tour, attempting to tell his side of the story, deny any involvement in Greg Fall's murder, and speak out against Alison Adonazio's allegations against him. Of his time in Belize, this is essentially what McAfee says happened. Well, what happened in Belize is I, I was just foolish. I, I, I thought I had retired there. I've invested a, a, a huge amount of money. Uh, when the government uh, came to me and asked for a $2 million donation, I politely declined it. Um, a week later, 
42 armed soldiers stormed my property, shot my dog in front of my eyes, uh, you know, more or less tortured me, destroyed a half million dollars worth of my property, and then left. The following morning, that same political person came and said, oh my God, what a terrible mistake, we're so sorry. It was a huge mistake. You know, they, they were looking for someone else, and I don't know where they got the information, I'm so sorry, have you reconsidered your donation? And I said, get the F off of my property. Uh, that began a war with police, which, uh, which uh, ended up with me uh, on the run. So I should have been a smart person and written them a check for $2 million and said thank you. Let me make this perfectly clear. I had nothing to do with the murder of Gregory Fall. Seven months ago, the Belizean government sent 42 armed soldiers into my property. They killed one of my dogs. They broke into all of my houses. They stole. They arrested me and kept me handcuffed in the sun for 14 hours. I was taken to jail, and it was only the intervention of the U.S. Embassy that got me out of jail. Since that time, I have been continually harassed by the government. They have attempted to charge me with every crime, ranging from running an antibiotics laboratory without a license, to hiring security guards without a license, to having improper paperwork for my company, and most recently, the murder of my neighbor. I had to leave, but the story has to get out. I have documentation that proves the intense corruption at all levels of the Belizean government. Now that I am in a safe place, I can speak freely. I will be talking on my blog, whoismcafee.com, starting tonight, revealing the truth about police. And thank you very much. Everything he says is like a, a pat, rehearsed thing. Like, he's not, he's not having any of those thoughts. He's like saying the th- the rehearsed speech that he's oh 100% especially cuz if you watch multiple interviews like he says that same thing over and over again about like the reason why he didn't just go in and allow to for questioning is because the you know the qu- questioning with the GSU usually involves torture and hanging you up by your heels and putting a baseball or a football helmet on your head and beating it until you your brain's turned mush like he says those exact thing he says that exact prepared speech every time he talks about it I love how when he needs to speak to the press and like, you know, get himself together and look presentable, he's like, you got to make me a custom tailored suit and you got to dye my head and facial hair this unnaturally dark color so that I look like heroin Tony Stark. (laughs) Which is saying something because Robert Downey Jr. also has enjoyed some heroin in the past. Robert Downey Jr. is already heroin Tony Stark, and he's even more heroin Tony Stark. He then made this really bizarre video about how to uninstall McAfee antivirus software from your computer, which he claims he made to satirize the way the media in the U.S. was villainizing him and painting him as an eccentric, unhinged madman. Fuck. Send. Send. Oh, hello there. My name is John McAfee. I'm the founder of the McAfee Antivirus Software Company. Although I've had nothing to do with this company for over 15 years, I still get volumes of mail asking, how do I uninstall this software? I have no idea. As I said, I've had nothing to do with McAfee software for over 15 years. I've had more pressing things to do. But recent events have made me change my mind. I've had Over the years, many responses from users who are complaining about the difficulty in removing the software. I'd like to read you a few things. Holy fucking shit. I was drawing for like five hours straight on this marvelous drawing, 
and I had to do a big-ass scan that slows the shit out of my computer. It was McAfee, of course. My computer's always really fast, but that son of a bitch has to come fuck it up. Here's another. My free trial for McAfee, or however it's spelled, expired. When it expired, it blocked Pornhub. Fuck McAfee. Fuck them in their stupid faces. I hope they all get dick and cunt rot and die a slow, agonizing death for limiting my porn use to X-Hamster. No one should have to use X-Hamster. Well, not completely, you know. I mean, it's always there. It's watching. It's been watching me for years. Every time I turn on the fucking computer, it's there looking at me. You know, something went wrong. 15 years ago, I had some beautiful software and they took it over. I don't know what they did. It was like the time I hired that Bangkok prostitute to do my taxes while I fucked my accountant. It was terrible. The same fucking thing is going on now. But I know what to do. I know exactly what to do. Believe me, I've got a fucking solution right here. This is the centerpiece of this whole thing. If you don't listen to this episode at all, which I don't know how you could possibly hear this message if you didn't listen to the episode, but if you didn't listen to this entire episode, at least watch this video. Honestly, dude, we should do a reaction video just to this fucking commercial. We should. He's sitting, he's wearing like a, he's wearing like a rich guy's robe, like a smoking jacket. And he's sitting on green screen in front of green screen with like a, with like a, a fake mansion library behind him. There's just a bunch of, there's a bunch of women that are just like on camera, like rubbing, rubbing up on him. He's just got a, he's got a bunch of the women just like giving him lap dances as he's, he's sitting in this like fake library. He's like, and he's like snorting coke off of their feet. He's got just like cocaine smeared all over his face and he's got guns on his desk. And a, a box that just reads bath salts. And then, and then uh, he made this even more bizarre follow-up video to that. My name is John McAfee. In my last video, I didn't have much time to tell you much about myself. I do apologize. From your emails, I know that many of you have questions about me. I myself have questions about me, although I, I don't think you can help me with them. The four most popular factual questions are... Number one, did I murder my neighbor in Belize? Was I manufacturing illegal drugs in Central America? Was I having sex with underage girls? And was I using bath salts? I can answer a resounding no to all three of those questions. Was I really living with seven women in Belize? Now, that's a tricky one. There were, in fact, days when all seven were present. The constant bickering, jealousies, and demands for attention reached such an extreme on those days that often I, I considered tying a boat anchor around my waist and walking off the end of my pier. Like, what, what, did, what is the point of making that? What are the point of these videos? Like, what, I don't understand, like, what... I mean, I guess the first one he said that it was supposed to be just, like, a, a satire of the media painting him out to be some like crazy coke addled maniac but like what what is he what is this video what is he doing what what is the point i think he just likes the attention right like it's like you know feeding the myth yeah but uh he also started composing moving piano ballads He's just playing this this Korg synthesizer. He's gonna turn it off and just do some fucking bath salts. Yep. This just sounds like this just sounds like 
the type of music that would be playing in a lobby of his like yoga studio. I guess you gotta put all that energy into something else whenever you can't uh, just have a, a never-ending soft serve machine of shit <laughs> squeeze into your he's mouth. Like, at he's all like he's dude, he's like Hitler. He's like Hitler. He he's a frustrated like l- smooth jazz pianist who got rejected and just took it out on the world. That's what he wa- that's what he wanted to give us. And we rejected him and then he did everything that he did. He then basically rebranded himself as a cybersecurity guru. He'd make appearances and consult for companies warning of the dangers of the government spying on us through tech gadgets and appliances we allow into our lives and homes. The second aspect of privacy is for the individual is much more concerning to me because it is much more difficult to secure. I mentioned earlier that uh, in, in some cases, appliances are showing up with microphones in them. Uh, or even cameras, and perhaps good reasons. Nevertheless, these will eventually be used for ill will. We have applications that we choose to run on our smartphones that look at us and listen to us and can be viewed by anyone within the corporation that creates that application. And we have given them the right to do this by our acknowledgement that we agree to their terms and conditions without reading them in most cases. I myself seldom read these terms. There are too many, too many pages, and it takes too much time. And you probably find yourself in the same situation. We believe that uh, we've lost privacy here in America. Uh, from a technological standpoint, I think that's where America uh, has its greatest risks. Uh, we, we are in a cyber war with China now, whether we want to admit it or not. They have made off with over 14 million records of um, United States government employees, including people with top-secret top security clearances, that is, our embedded agents in foreign governments. I mean, no greater coup in, in any war has ever been achieved than what the Chinese just achieved. Advice to the government would be of, uh, seek professional help, uh, mental help, because the government has turned paranoid. For example, let's look at government spying. The NSA and the CIA tell us that they are here to protect us. And in order to protect us, they need to invade our personal privacy to find out our deepest, darkest secrets and the things that we are doing and thinking and feeling. So really what they are saying is, we're here to protect you. In order to do that, we must violate your privacy so that we can assure you that you are not the enemy we are protecting you from. Which honestly, he's not wrong. But uh, he, he created businesses selling various types of cybersecurity related software and apps such as Decentral One, an app that created a list of which apps have permissions for various information stored on your phone. Chatter Secure Messaging, an encrypted messaging app. And Devasive, an app that detects when any app uses certain sensitive functions on your phone, like the camera app or access to sensitive information, and allows you to stop access by the app and delete it. And then later on, as cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin gained in popularity, he also heavily got into speculating on, speaking about, and consulting for all kinds of cryptocurrency. And it worked. People basically just stopped talking about how he fucking murdered someone. You can find countless interviews of McAfee sitting with jovial, normal-seeming people, laughing and joking with him, asking him questions about cryptocurrency or cybersecurity, and never once even getting close to being like, also, what about when you fucking murdered those dudes and sexually assaulted a woman? And because there's no way in our insane fucking world this wasn't gonna be the next logical step in the story, that's when he decided he wanted to go into the next phase of his life and career. He was gonna run for president of the United States. In 2016, he entered the presidential race, running as a libertarian. I just wanna, I wanna play a little selection of 
what the the platform that that old Johnny Mac Mac was running on, and some of the uh, the footage from the libertarian presidential debates that he was having. Governor Johnson has stated that he believes that bakers should be forced to bake wedding cakes for people that they disagree with, homosexual couples, and this is a big problem because we're running for president. Is he correct in quoting you? Uh, yes, but I think that if you discriminate on the basis of uh, religion, I think that that is a black hole. Look, I think you should be able to discriminate for stink or you're not wearing shoes or whatever. But I'll tell you what, if we discriminate on the basis of religion, to me, that's doing harm to a big class of people. And right should now, a, should a Jewish I baker think, be required to bake a I Nazi wedding Muslims cake? I think Muslims right now in this country... I think Muslims in this country would be banned by all sorts of businesses right now because it would be the popular thing so to the do. So the Jewish bakers should right have to bake the cake for the Nazi wedding. That's uh, that would be my contention. Yes. If you're the only baker in town, it may be a problem, but but no one no one is is forcing you to buy anything or to choose one person over another. This is the issue. So why why should I be forced to do anything if I am not harming you? And uh, am I harming you by not selling you something? No, it's, it's my choice to sell, your choice to buy. If you're going to start discriminating against people because of religion, uh, you're going to find a whole class of people discriminated against, and you may be included in that. So it's harm to others. Well, Gary, everything Gary Johnson says, he says with the demeanor of like, uh, call me crazy. I, I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm just spitballing here. I just, I, call me insane. Call me a fucking maniac, but I'm just, I'm just saying stuff. I'm just, I'm just throwing some stuff out. And if you want to pick it up, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know that you're in a room with fucking crazy people when Gary Johnson is the only one that seems even halfway sane. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's a, a debate where they're talking about whether or not people should be required to have driver's licenses. Licenses are required. However, if you are uh, under 16 and your parents say you can drive and you haven't done it before, you should put a flashing pink light on your roof at least. <laughs> so you get out of your way. But that ain't the most. Mr. Perry. The government requires licenses for, for far too many things. The government requires licenses for people to broadcast radio. The government requires licenses to get married. They require a license to drive. What's next? Requiring a license to make toast in your own damn toaster? Absolutely not. government has a basic responsibility to protect us against individuals, groups, corporations, foreign governments that would do us harm. In that context, a license to drive? You know, I'd like to see some competency exhibited by people before they drive. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out I don't know. Call there. me crazy. Call me crazy. I don't know. I'm just like, I feel like maybe we should just like test people. Is that crazy? Is that not crazy? We, we really all think that everyone should just be able to just operate motor vehicles, even though there's no, but really? You think that? All right. These debates, like, they just seem like word salad. Like, they seem like parodies of what, like, a libertarian debate would be. And the bizarre thing is he got the nomination too. Like, that's what's fucking nuts. Like, he is not a charismatic person. I, I don't know. 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 And all those people, like, in those rooms hate him, and yet he's the one who got the fucking party nomination. Here's, uh, here's, here's old Johnny Mac Mac talking, talking to then presidential nominee Donald Trump. The word politics. Politics is defined 
as the principles and practices necessary to gain and hold power within a government. Now, inherently, that definition is, is an ugly definition. Do we want to elect people who want power? I don't. I want to elect someone who is willing to sacrifice themselves to serve the American public. So Donald Trump is an excellent businessman. I mean, I, I cannot compete with him in business, although I have, I have created multi-billion dollar companies, but not as great as him. He ought to be going back into private business and creating jobs for the American people like he has been doing. I think he is ill-prepared for the problems of this government. He is technologically incompetent. I'm sorry to say that, Mr. Trump, but you are. You have already stated that you have never written an email even. How can you then run a, a country who is already in a cyber war? And you mentioned China. China has declared war on us. Not openly. They didn't say we are now at war with you. But they have, they have committed acts of war to take 14 million files of our government employees, including tens of thousands of embedded agents whose lives are now at risk, who may have families and children here in America. Uh, how are you going to fight that, Mr. Trump, if you do not understand the technology that the Chinese are using to do this? I think that, you know, we should just have politicians that don't want power but want to run secret extramilitary militias filled with former gangbangers and prostitutes in Belize under the rule and iron fist of a former antivirus computer software multimillionaire. That's what I think we need. In America, we need that kind of gumption. We don't need a former real estate mogul. We need a, someone who's has experience at being a dictator. Yeah, we need we need a we need a guerrilla warlord who has you know he knows what it's like to get in the shit. He's killed people, and uh, and here is here he is on a 2019 episode of the Adult Swim show Soft Focus with Jenna Friedman, explaining why he ran for president, which he revealed was almost exclusively motivated by wanting Hillary Clinton to lose. Okay, so when I went on the run in Belize. I had friends in the U.S. Embassy in Belize. I knew I was coming down. I'm not stupid. I had arranged with the head of security. I was going to come in. He said, sir, we have it from the highest authority. We are not to allow you entry into the U.S. Embassy. Understand me. Who was the highest authority in the State Department? Hillary Clinton. I'm an American citizen with a f***ing American passport. I'm sorry. I'm not wanted in America. I've got no crimes in America. Is it not a reason to say, I don't think I'm going to vote for you? And yet you're here now. For a month and a half, I was on the run. So he, he basically, he ran for president because he had like a personal vendetta against Hillary Clinton for this perceived slight that she had personally disallowed him from being able to take asylum in the U.S. Embassy in Belize. And he just wanted to sabotage her campaign by attempting to pull as many votes away from her with the libertarian vote as possible. Also in 2016, the Belizean government asked for the FBI's help to investigate the murder of Greg Fall. With the FBI involved, if they could collect enough evidence to convict, then McAfee could be arrested and extradited back to Belize from Florida. They detained one of McAfee's former girlfriends, Amy Emschwiller, the one who had attempted to kill him on multiple occasions for questioning. Amy claimed that another of McAfee's girlfriends, Maria Novello, had lured Greg Fall back to his house under the guise of having sex with him so that, while he was distracted by her in his bedroom, Mac-10 could sneak into the house and shoot him. But the police still couldn't make any arrests until they had evidence. They needed to get a hold of some of Mactin's DNA to see if they could match it with samples from the crime scene. But Mactin had other plans. After increased scrutiny into his involvement in the murder, 
as well as his claim that people were trying to kill him and he'd had people come to his house and shoot at him, he decided to leave Belize. He got a plane ticket and fled the country. After discovering this information, for the Showtime documentary, Nanette Burstein confronted McAfee at a libertarian debate in New York. They briefly spoke on camera, but once McAfee realized who she was, he stormed out of the building. Later that day, he sent Burstein a series of hostile emails calling her Satan and declaring her as his final battle in his war against the people who were trying to destroy him. He did not win the Libertarian nomination, instead coming in second to Gary Johnson, which has got to be a kick in the pants. I don't know, call me crazy, but I just feel like I'm the number one candidate. I don't know. I don't know. Just call me. I don't know. Just I just feel like. Don't quote me. I, I'm just saying. I just feel like I just feel like, you know, I just feel like I re- we counted the votes and I won. But I don't I just know. feel like I just represent the Libertarian perspective better than you. You know, I just I don't know. I don't know. I feel like maybe I just feel like I feel like just call me call me insane. I don't know. I'm just saying I feel like maybe your your motives for getting into this entire thing were not exactly, uh you know, on the up and up. And you were just doing it as some kind of weird uh, half baked revenge scheme against somebody who you felt was responsible for some past uh, inconvenience you had. And I don't know. I'm just I feel like maybe you don't actually know anything about politics and you're just kind of like a crazy madman who just hopped up on bath salts all day and you have these weird ideas about what freedom means and you thought it would translate well into libertarianism and you kind of just, you know, fell flat because you didn't actually have the right ideals for this party. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying I don't know. From there, McAfee bounced around the country, at various times, reportedly living in states like Oregon and Tennessee. While unable to actually be convicted of the murder, McAfee was eventually found legally responsible for the death of Fall by a federal judge in order to pay all of Fall's family's legal and funeral fees. But he refused and hasn't paid a cent to this day. There have been 37 lawsuits against him, and he's just ignored them all. He announced that he'd be running again in the 2020 election, but hit a snag. In July of 2019, McAfee announced that he, his wife, and several of his presidential campaign staff were being indicted on tax fraud charges related to the 2016 campaign. McAfee then announced he was on the run from the U.S. authorities and started living on a boat in international waters. Did he live on the boat with his wife or was he, did he? No, with his wife. Yeah, his wife and him lived out on the boat. Every once in a while, they would uh, cross paths with old Woodrow Wilson and they'd be like, thanks for creating these laws that allowed us to live out here on the international waters. And he was like, I just, have, you, have you tried the long breads? You got to wonder though. You got to wonder you're his wife. And, you know, you're just a you're, you're just a, a a normal working girl in Miami. You know, you just you're just making it through making it through the day, Take, taking it day by day, you're just working your job, making ends meet. And then you meet this guy and this whole situation plays out. You guys get married. You get intermingled with his life. You're helping him with his presidential campaign. You're helping him make these weird videos where he's like doing cocaine off of like f- prostitute friends that you called up and enlisted to act in this movie and just nightly just taking full big old sloppy dumps into his mouth <laughs> just soft serving soft serving that shit into his mouth and then and then it and then it turns into like you're starting to get indicted for tax fraud you have to go and live on international waters in a boat you're like escaping from the law you got to wonder at one point she goes like oh man i fucked up like i like like you know she's still staying with him she's not like they're not divorced or whatever she's she's by his side even you know even now but you got to wonder what at what point there was ever a thing in the back of her mind like fuck like i was just i was just living a normal life like I, I was, I, I was, I had no problems. I had no troubles. 
now I'm like, now I'm like on the run from the law and I'm like in trouble for tax fraud. Like you gotta, you just gotta wonder when she, at, at any point when she's just like, God damn it. Like this is not what I signed up for. How hard would it be for us to interview him? Cause I'm not gonna lie. You know how you were like, I just want to know what was going through your mind when you're making that disguise. I want to like talk to him for like an hour, like Mark Sargent. And then at the end of that hour, be like, all right, John. So I just, you know, this has been a great interview. I just did a closing question. I just have to ask, when was the first time someone shit in your mouth? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a good runner up for like the thing I'd be curious to ask about <laughs> for sure. The same month, McAfee and members of his entourage were arrested while his yacht was docked at Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic, on suspicion of carrying high caliber weapons and ammunition. They were held for four days before being released. From there, McAfee has taken up temporary residency in various places around the world, at one point living in Cuba. I find Cuba to be one of the most um, friendly and uh, generous countries I've ever been in, which is surprising given the scarcities of things. Um, the, the, The main thing I've noticed is that given 63 years of economic uh, isolation by the U.S., uh, as, as uh, in, you know, uh, evidenced by the 1957 automobiles and, and below, um, they are surprisingly generous people. I think the government has its priorities straight and that food, uh, clothing and shelter is number one. I wish America had its priorities straight. The millions in the streets would not be in the streets if we did. So um, I'm very impressed with this government. I'm, I'm glad that I'm here. I chose Cuba because the American government has manufactured totally ridiculous crimes against me in order to shut me up. I speak out against the IRS, the SEC, the FBI, the CIA in every chance that I can. I'm on the world stage constantly giving keynote speeches and in them I always trash those elements of the US government. So of course they are very angry and want to shut me up. Cuba is a place, oddly enough, of all places, they say there's no freedom of speech, there's no freedom of individuality, that's nonsense. I can speak freely here and have been, not once has a government agent come and said, please shut up. So my goal is, screw that. I'm not going to be president anyway. There's no way, no one would elect me. Well, I mean, my million followers would vote, but that's not going to make me president, okay? Um, But no one in the right mind. Number one, I don't want the job. I'd be a terrible president. However, I do want the national stage to talk about one thing. Stop looking outside for our problems. Our problems are internal. They're us. We have elected these monsters. We have allowed them to tell us what to do with our lives. I would rather have everybody leave and let's get street derelicts in. It wouldn't be any worse. What matters is what's happening now. Talking to the American people from the heart, saying, wake up, America. Wake up, America. Wake up. The best part of that video is at the very end when he says, wake up, America, to the the uh, the, the reporter off camera. And then he looks into the camera and says, wake up, America. Also, that interview was for the Tampa Bay Times, which just makes it infinitely better. From there, his exploits across the globe get increasingly more bizarre, erratic, and confusing. He seemed to just pop up in random places around the world, engaging in weird and baffling situations that 
seem to just be bids for attention and more spotlight from the media. On August 11th, 2020, McAfee fabricated a hoax that he was arrested in Norway during the COVID-19 pandemic after refusing to replace a lace thong with a more effective face mask. (laughs) It's funny, the idea of that, because that seems like something on brand that he's like walking around with a thong on his face and they're like you need to wear a real mask and he's like no and then they arrested him but it's even weirder because he made it up it was like a fake hoax that he made for seemingly no reason just to get attention what is this guy (laughs) what is this guy and then that's when they got him in the end it wasn't about the drugs or the murder or the assault or the private army of gangsters and crooked cops he amassed, or the illegal immigration, or any of the other crimes he allegedly committed through the years. It was the taxes. The fucking taxes. You see, as a staunch libertarian, McAfee believes wholeheartedly that taxation is theft, and that all income tax should be abolished. And as an out-of-control rich guy, he actually has the resources and balls to just not pay them, ever. John McAfee doesn't ever pay his taxes. Much like the notorious mob boss Al Capone, despite all of his more serious alleged crimes, the U.S. government finally got John McAfee on tax evasion. On October 5th, 2020, McAfee was arrested in Spain at the request of the U.S. Department of Justice for tax evasion. The indictment alleges he earned millions of dollars from 2014 to 2018, but has failed to file income tax returns. On October 6, 2020, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, filed a complaint alleging that McAfee had fraudulently promoted certain ICOs. According to the SEC, McAfee presented himself as an impartial investor when he promoted the ICOs, despite the fact that he was allegedly paid $23 million in digital assets in exchange for the promotions. On March 5th of 2021, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York announced that they had formally indicted McAfee and an executive advisor for allegedly fraudulently promoting certain cryptocurrencies and performing pump-and-dump schemes. And there, there was some other pump-and-dump schemes going on, you know, behind closed doors, but... Something was getting pumped, and we all know what was getting dumped. He had used his Twitter page to recommend that his followers invest in certain cryptocurrencies without disclosing that he had received millions of dollars from the companies behind those cryptos. His endorsement had artificially inflated the value of those cryptocurrencies temporarily, and in theory, following the logic of a typical pump-and-dump scheme, McAfee would then sell off his large stockpile of those currencies with inflated value for large gains before their values inevitably tumbled down. Though McAfee alleges that he never sold off any of his coins and held on to them throughout the entire process, thus invalidating the pump-and-dump charge. He is still in that Spanish jail, awaiting extradition to the U.S. or release to this day. He still regularly tweets his thoughts on world politics, cryptocurrency, and the details surrounding his ongoing criminal investigation through his wife to his large Twitter following. It's interesting, regardless of what your political or social beliefs are, to see a figure so thoroughly dedicated to one singular goal in life, absolute freedom, get so hyper-focused on that pursuit that he basically has spent most of his life being deprived of it as a result. Whether it was his time spent spiraling into paranoid episodes where he'd isolate himself from the world and surround himself by bodyguards clutching a gun against his chest while he slept, or the time he spent hiding out in holes, shacks, dark rooms, alleyways, and rivers while the Belizean government searched for him, or the time he'd spent in literal jail. It's like the more he fights for his ideal definition of freedom, the less of it he ultimately gets. Is there a lesson there? I don't know. Honestly, while many of the subjects we cover tend to have some overarching psychological thrust in the center of everything they do, something we can pick apart and analyze endlessly on this show, I found myself at a loss for what truly makes John McAfee tick. He seems to just be pure chaos, motivated by nothing but a shark-like forward pursuit of survival 
and doing whatever the fuck he wants. He's the ultimate cautionary tale for people who don't like being told what to do, which I honestly relate to a lot because I don't like being told what to do. And I've worked hard to create an infrastructure in my life and career where I don't have to, but I think something that can be taken away from this by anyone is this. Is my stubborn dedication to my principles and my unyielding refusal to budge actually benefiting me? Or am I just setting myself up for self-sabotage again and again? Where's the line? And what cost am I willing to pay for freedom or for somebody to shit in my mouth? I want you to know that I was basically going to make the same joke. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... uh, This episode is fascinating to me for a myriad of reasons. Like, I feel like we haven't even really delved into breaking this down. And we're like seven hours into this piece of shit. (laughs) Like, there's just so much. It really is like... It's very fascinating to me because... John McAfee feels like somebody who is completely uninhibited by fear and is pure id. And you know how there's the that F. Scott Fitzgerald quote, the greatest tragedy in American life is there are no second acts, meaning that like people become something early in their life and then their middle life is just the, a continuation of that. And there's nothing else after that. There's no... Americans don't get to reinvent themselves. There's no greater challenge. There's no second vista usually for people. There's the initial ascent and then that's just kind of what you are and it ultimately ends up eroding and is emotionally unfulfilling. Yeah, it's like, am I going to do this? Am I going to do this? I, I have to try really hard and I got to do this and oh, there's a setback and there's a setback and oh, a little bit of a, a little bit of leeway and a little bit of advancement. And then like you, you do it, whatever that is, whether that's like achieving your dreams or like, you know, I'm just, I've, I'm, I have this job at this place. I work at this office and I just, I have a stable job or whatever it is. And then it's just a plateau from there. And it, and then like, it, you know, it starts to get boring or repetitive or sort of becomes a parody of itself over time. But there, yeah, there's no dynamic to it. And John McAvee is the exception that proves that rule because his this there's no way to put his life into a three act structure. His life has a 15 act structure. It's like. I don't even know how you quantify it. Like, there's like multiple eras. He's, he, you know what he feels like to me? John McAfee, John McAfee feels like a character, like Doctor Who, that gets reinvented every like four years. And there's like contention within the fan base of like which one is the real one. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I love cultist yoga instructor John McAfee. That's bullshit. Gorilla Warlord McAfee is the only one that matters. What? No way. McAfee on the run with his wife. That's the real McAfee. No way. Slaving away, doing DMT and making train railroads uh, maps uh, and schedules. That's the real, the early years. That's the pure McAfee. Like, yeah. And he, he really does. He's like, he's like a real life version of the many personas of David Bowie where He's like he he had he was like he was like programmer businessman like I've solved one of America's largest looming problems McAfee in the beginning and then and he sort of wore that like a costume he wore the you know he wore the 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 button up shirt with the tie and you know the slacks and then he was like fuck this. And then he literally just like turned into like a new age spiritualist, like fucking yoga guru. And he's like wearing like the, the, the flowing silk, white silk fucking clothes that like with the, the, the white button up shirt that's like open and like flowing in the wind. And he's, and he's like, you know, sitting there like with, you know, with, with, with his legs crossed in this room and just like, 
being like the, 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 the rhythm of your body is speaking to you with the souls of the spirits of our earth, of Mother Gaia. And he wrote like three books that was just saying that shit. And there was a, there was a, uh, there was one of his like former students who was like a, a good friend of his for a while that she was like, she literally like to, she had looked up to him and, worshipped him like somebody would follow like a cult leader or at least at the very least like a Tony Robbins type person um, and she was interviewed and she was talking about how he he like one day he just changed into a completely different person and she wasn't even necessarily saying it in a bad way like he became like shitty or whatever but she knew him as this like this guru who taught these like l- teachings of of you know being in tune with your body and the positive energy of the world and he wrote these books that she thought were amazing and she like read them multiple times and she followed all of his studies and patterned her life after his teachings and then one and then she hadn't seen him in years after he like sold the compound and stuff like that and then she saw him again years later and she was just like this is a different guy and they talked for a while and he wasn't mean or anything like that but he just was a different human and then they talked about the books and she and he kind of talked about how like he didn't believe any of that stuff anymore and he you know he he thought it was all bullshit basically and you know she kind of talked about it like yeah he just you know, something must have happened to him and he changed and it's like no nothing happened to him he he never believed any of that stuff he it was like he, it was like a it was like a character that he created where he was like i'm just going to think i'm going to pretend like i think all these things about spirituality and create this following of people and then he got tired of it and then he walked away from it and it was like you know he he believed in that stuff just about as much as you believe in you know if you if you're an actor in a play or whatever you know that you, you he believed in that stuff as much as he believed in the lines that he had memorized to play a character in a play or whatever and then yeah and then he's like the he becomes the fucking uh he tries to become like the you know tech startup like pharmaceutical company guy and then he becomes a fucking warlord like guerrilla warlord and then he's like the and then he's like the you know the cybersecurity uh doomsday prophet and then he's the presidential candidate and then he's like the you know that video you watched of him in cuba where he's just talking about like you know we need to, you know th- this whole persona of like we, you know we need to stop spying on our people and we need to you know, get our priorities straight and we need to start, you know, getting the homeless people off the streets and start feeding people and, you know, stop worrying about greed and start worrying about like, you know, feeding and clothing the homeless. And it's like, he doesn't care about that. And, and, and they all have overlap too. There's like, there's like moments where those, those personas overlap and he's like a couple of them at once sometimes. And, and there's like, there's no clean transition from one to the other. Yeah, it, it's it is kind of in the Andrew W.K. way where it's he's putting on these personas in order to get things. And, you know, there's it's obvious that he has this inability to accept love coupled with a desire to control environments, probably because as a young person, if his father actually was abusive. But since he's the one who said that, who the fuck knows? Um, but, you know, he had a rough childhood in some way, you know, whatever that means. And that his fucked up brain has taken that inability to process love and an unstable environment into I'm going to create a reality for myself and I'm going to control every little bit of it. And he, he does, you know, he tried to do it with the, uh, the starting the cult in Colorado. He tried to do it with, uh, his, um, 
in a, in an almost monastic way when he first moved to Belize, where he just bought this house on the beach and he's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fuck with any of those people. My sex competitions, all that shit's gonna be behind me. I'm just gonna live this kind of purer life, live this monastic lifestyle on this villa all by myself on the coast. Oh fuck, this is boring. This version of controlling reality just sucks. All right, I'm gonna control. I have all these desires that I can't control. All this sexual energy that I can't abate by myself. So I'm going to take over this town and convince all of these women. I'm going to bribe all of these women into satisfying and abating my desires. Controlling my house and my sexual urges isn't enough. Okay, I'm going to take over this town literally with gangbangers and military and corrupted police. Oh, fuck. This is spiraling out of control. All right, it, It all leads back to that. I'm going to set a parameter for myself and then I'm going to control everything within that circle. And that circle, just depending on the era, gets bigger or smaller. It expands and contracts depending on his level of means and ambition. Yeah. And it probably, and, and going back to what you had said a while back, there probably is also some element of like the expansion and contraction has to do with just like phases or moods that he's in where he's like, now I kind of want to like just have a little small circle where I just want to like, have like three people, an an, an, in, an intimate control paradigm where I got like a couple people, and then sometimes he's like, "No, I want, I gotta go. I'm, I'm, I'm in the mood to go big, a whole country. I want to take over this government and be like the king of a country." And then he's like, "No, no, 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 no. Just like, just me and my wife. That's it. On a boat. On a boat. And then he's, and and, and it's like, yeah, it's like it's it's the shifting tides of his his sort of like manic." Uh, jumping back and forth between moods and and personalities, almost. I cannot imagine what being married to that guy would be like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's one of those people where it's like you can't imagine. It's like he's very fascinating to witness from afar, but it's like I I would not want to hang out with this guy. It would be it'd be exhausting. Yep, completely. Yeah, do not want, do not want to have anything to do with that shit. Like it's just it's emotionally taxing to me, just like listening to stories about him. <laughs> I can't even imagine being in that inner circle. Yeah. And yeah, and I, and I totally understand. And, you know, Greg Fall or these neighbors who are just like, fuck, man, like, I'm just trying to relax here. This guy is just like stressing me the fuck out. Like, why is he just why is he so extra? Why is he walking around with fucking packs of rabid dogs and like just waving machine guns? Like, I'm just trying to hang out on this beach. Do you uh, do you think that do you think that he killed yeah, I mean, I think we kind of, I think we kind of answered that question, you know, organically in the episode. But I mean, yeah, for sure. Like, like I said, it's like it, it's almost like you can triangulate the the um, you can triangulate the tapestry of his life, and just everything kind of just like self affirms everything else. Where it's like, okay, so these people said you killed somebody. This woman said that you sexually assaulted her. These people say you're, you know, you've you're committing tax fraud. These people say you did this. It's like, are all these people that are like literally spread out across the world that none of them know each other? Are they all just coincidentally making up fake stories about you? Or are these things true and you just commit, you just wreak havoc wherever you go? I mean, I think it's just definitely, he's a fucking maniac, man. Like, I don't even think it's, I think even just like saying that he has some sort of disorder or that there's something wrong with him does it a disservice because I think we want that to be the case, right? We want there to be an easy explanation. And I don't think it is. I think he's, he is someone who has an inordinate amount of desire and the means to manifest that desire and the a complete lack of an inner voice 
and a better judgment. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's that's almost kind of like that's almost kind of the thesis of this in the negative space of what wasn't said of this whole episode, because I I kind of I was trying to kind of I, I, I kind of sat on I kind of stared at the blank page for a little bit with this script because I was trying to think of what the my way into it was like, what is what is the what is this thesis or this overarching um like phys- philosophical point uh, am I am I going to try to make with this? Um, and it, it usually kind of comes to me pretty, pretty easily, whether it's some kind of more abstract philosophical point or something kind of just about, uh, you know, history, you know, like like the Andrew W.K. episode was about, um, you know, the 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 metaphysic, the metaphysical um, sort of way that celebrity, uh, you know, exists within the sort of tapestry of culture and um you know the the Disney World episode was just kind of about how uh you know animation has been like sort of cast aside as this kids uh medium but you know at one point the the biggest you know head of an animation studio was so powerful that he wanted to create like a utopian society so there's always like kind of that way into it that 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 sort of like headspace that I can be in to drive the through point of the of the the thrust of the narrative um, with something just a little bit more with a little bit more depth than just here's literally what happened in this story and I I struggled with this one because I really couldn't like get my I couldn't get my 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 fingers into it like I couldn't I couldn't figure out where the where the part in the uh, in the curtain was. And I really did. I kind of sat there just kind of staring at it. And I even like I, 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 I put off writing the script because I couldn't figure out I couldn't that 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 through that uh, that intro point just couldn't this didn't pop into my head. And I put it off. And then whenever I went to write it, I kind of just sat and looked at it. And there was even a point earlier where I like I was like, I'm just gonna take a shower and I'll and I'll I'll think of something in the shower. And I was just kind of like stalling. And I ended up coming up with this whole sort of thrust of. The fact that he, you know, he lives for this uh, almost, you know, that like that Philip K. Dick short story, The Golden Man, that uh, that that fucking Nicolas Cage movie next was based on. Um, but the movie has nothing to do with the story. It's so weird. It's like it's it literally it's like the most like unlike the source material adaptation I've ever seen. Um, but uh, The Golden Man is about uh, this world. Um, it's also it's almost like the Philip K. Dick version of the X-Men where. It's a world where um, there are a certain percentage of the population that have uh, been born with these uh, these recessive uh, genetic mutations have become dominant. So a small percentage of the population have become mutants with these certain powers. And um, one of them is this uh, this this character who it's it's the it's the golden man. And he's uh, a humanoid creature that has like golden skin and has like a bird like head. And he was born without a frontal lobe. So he's incapable of abstract or self-aware thought. Um, his only goal in life is t- is self-preservation. Um, all he thinks about and all he cares about is surviving. And in order to cope with that um, instinct, he developed a an ability to um, predict to be able to see the future within a certain amount of time. So he's he's he has precognitive abilities, so he can see what's going to happen, and then he basically just does whatever he needs to do to adapt to what he sees in the future and survive. So the 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 character in the story 
she goes out to like rescue him from being um, scooped up by the government and taken and killed or experimented on or put into a concentration camp or whatever it is. I forget. And so she's trying to sneak him, smuggle him through these borders and stuff like that. And then he ends up seducing her and then she like falls in love with him and he sleeps with her and then he ends up betraying her. And then she realizes that the whole thing was a part of this this plan to uh, survive because he had looked in the future and saw that all these different variables were going to happen. And so he knew that the best way to survive was to seduce her and trick her and double cross her and escape. And that really feels like John McAfee like that. He's the golden man. He's the fucking golden man. Like he he exists. That's you know, I kind of said that with the with the shark, the shark, uh, the shark like forward thrust of survival. Like he just does everything to just survive and and push forward and and, and not get in trouble, not face repercussions and never have to answer to anybody and just get to do whatever he wants. And that was sort of the best uh, sort of through line that I could find for this story. But, you know, there really isn't anything there. There isn't, like you said, there is no like psychological meaning behind things. There's no like way you can trace it back to childhood events and go like, Oh, he's, you know, this because of this or whatever. It's just not there. You like, you like, you stare into the, you peer into infinity and it like stares back. Um, you peer into the gaping maw of the butthole. that's about to pour hot hot molten poo into your mouth and it stares back into you yeah exactly um yeah and he's just like he's like pure chaos like that was uh, you know and i made that other allusion to the joker he's he's just pure chaos there's nothing behind the eyes other than survival yeah i mean i think that there is more behind the, the eyes than though than just that because i think he really is malevolent like i think he He's like we, you, what, like you made the allusion to Maslow's hierarchy of needs before. He's gone off the the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and entered the new hierarchy of needs, which is like the blossoming would be despot hierarchy of needs. You know, like his life mirrors that. Like he really does seem like some Eastern European or you know Asian dictator who's like living indisposed on a boat somewhere. You know, like hiding in plain sight. Like he's like the last emperor of China. Kind of how that guy like lived in the Forbidden City and then, you know, got kicked out and then moved to Japan and was kind of like a basically a state secret, like a kept man for a bunch of years. And then the Japanese government convinced him to take over and declare that he would be the new king, the new emperor of Manchukuo. their like puppet state where they invaded China, took over the region of Manchuria. And then the Japanese just had a separate country that they were, you know, using for political purposes and obviously he ended up getting overthrown and you know held in a chinese communist prison for a number of years um but like it it feels like that like it's like if if the last emperor of china who i'm now blanking on his name fuck what the fuck is that guy's name uh whatever if it's like if that guy was just a fucking psychopath their lives would be super you know they would they would mirror each other but honestly like that guy who had a balls ass crazy life. Like, you know, he, he got declared as the king of, you know, the emperor of, of China at like age 12 or some shit. And he like, uh, he was like supposedly because he, you know, was raised in this environment where he didn't really understand 
the ramifications of his actions was kind of a psychopath too and that he would just like torture his servants because it was the only thing that was like fun because he couldn't do anything because he didn't have friends he was never around other children he was care- cared for by like a a network of like 50 eunuchs like his only friends growing up were eunuchs that were like 30 when he was 12 and like it warped him in all these bizarre ways and he also had you know multiple concubines and and all of these bizarre sexual um proclivities you know that are they you know there's there's just john mcafee was born the wrong time is what i'm saying like he 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 should have been an he should have been an emperor of some some country or a a you know a a putin-esque in mob enforcer or something that's like i mean i don't i don't want him to be those things all of those people are doing horrible shit to you know their citizens of the country the citizens of the countries that they run but but that that seems that seems like what his that just seems like what his spirit was meant to do but it's funny because like he should have but it feels like every step of the way his even though he was massively wealthy and he spent so much money and kind of had these lavish this lavish lifestyle in many different incarnations it's like it's almost like it, at every step of the way his resources were just a little too rinky dink to fully pull that off. Like he just never quite he was always kind of like a second rate version of that so he could never just get anything off the ground. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Also the the last emperor of China's name is Puyi. Um yeah, very very interesting guy, which I would assume at some point we'll do an episode on. Because there's so much to talk about with him. He lived a balls-ass crazy life. Um, and the weirdest thing about his life is that after after he got released from the the communist um, prison camp, the prisoner of war camp, he uh, when he when he was going into it, he tried to commit suicide to kill himself because he didn't know how to do anything. He couldn't tie his shoes. He didn't know. Um, I don't think he. I literally don't think he knew how to use the restroom correctly because he had people that did that for him. And um, and uh, he uh, he lived there for a long time too, like fifteen or ten, ten or fifteen years. But when he finally got out of it, um, and you know Mao had ascended, you know the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party had really like taken over, and um, all all of the political. The, polit- the, the political landscape had just completely shifted by the time he got out of um, the camps. He like worked as a gardener for like the last like 20 years of his life. He was just like a guy just like living in society as a gardener. That's the most bizarre. Like he murdered people. He like organized systemic murders of motherfuckers when he was the emperor of Manchukuo and worked as a fucking like puppet state for Hirohito. Yeah, but the, th- the thing is, is that john mcafee could have done that he murdered two guys and he could have just like hung out with his wife and fucking went to clubs until he died of a fucking cocaine heart attack at like 79 or whatever but he just couldn't leave well enough alone like he just just had to like try to run for president and like uh, commit tax fraud or whatever he did during that whole situation you you know too that somebody was like all right john i'm writing your campaign a check for 20 million dollars and he was like oh you're writing me a check for 20 million dollars awesome just just make it out to cash you ever seen that you ever seen that movie blank check written by uh the guy who wrote save the cat yep I'll, i'll say i'll say no more you ever seen that movie called um john mcafee doesn't pay taxes i'll say no more Literally to not implicate myself in, during an ongoing criminal investigation. 
Um, did you, were you surprised over the course of writing this? Like, did you, did, is, was the scale of this surprising to you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's another one of those stories where it seemed like it was going to be a, a, a tight, uh, brisk romp through like a crazy kind of true crimey story. Um, but, uh, number one, I, I sort of, I, I had looked at this. I discovered this story a long time ago. It's kind of been on the short list for a while of an episode. So back whenever I um, first had discovered it and kind of looked into it and got the whole story, like there has been a bunch of other stuff that's happened since then. So number one, I had discovered that there was just a whole other coda to the whole story or even like a whole other act to the whole story. Because the last I left off with it was like, oh, he just came back to... uh he came back to the United States. He was a free man. He ran for president and it, and he didn't win. And then since then, there had been all this other stuff and he was like in fucking prison and he was, you know, he had fight like the, the story had kind of ended, like not fully because he's still just kind of being held in Spain and, you know, the, still yet to see what's going to happen. But I, I feel like thematically, the story had kind of been brought to a close where it's like, no, he he didn't end up just kind of walking into the sunset. He he ends up in jail like he should have been the whole time. Um, but but yeah, other than that, there was yeah, there's just, you know, it's one of those stories where you kind of think it's just like a, a surface level, like crazy, interesting true crime story. And then there's just so much detail to the nuances of everything. And, um, you know, you just get you just get you you get very fascinated with all the little nooks and crannies of it. And you can't allow yourself to, like, not go into it like you, you can't just keep it to the this happened and this happened and this happened. You have to go into all the little weird stuff. Have you seen footage of someone shitting in John McAfee's mouth? No. If that existed, I would, I would stay so far away from that. You don't think that shit exists? Come on. It's the internet. That's, that's on there. Fuck man. He probably uploaded it. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to get, I don't, I don't want to immediately have the FBI storm my house. So I'm not going to search for John McAfee shit porn. I bet you that if you searched two Johns, one McAfee, it would come up. <laughs> that's like a that's like a that's like a secret password that you, if you type it into your computer, just a fucking like a portal opens and you just step into it and you go to like a like a secret like virtual world that he's created for himself. That's where that's how you get to the cocaine wonderland. Yeah, it's like it's like Ready Player One. He's just like created a magical world, except for it's not just like a game, a, a, a virtual world where you like play games or whatever. It's a virtual world where you just like do an endless, unlimited amount of drugs and then just like have like it's they've just got shit on tap. I'm Dave Baker and I'm Andrew Bryce. This has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the internet at heydavebaker.com, where you can find my comics like Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, Night Hunters. You can also uh, go to everyoneistulip.com and read my Dark Horse book that's coming out in June of this year, 2021, um, uh, as it's being serialized. Uh, three pages get uploaded a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, written by me, illustrated by Nicole Gu of Shadow of the Batgirl fame, colored by... Nicole and Ellie Hall. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're into comics that are about a young actress moving to LA, trying to find her way in the the glitzy glamour of Hollywood, and then getting sucked up into the high stakes world of uh, social media performance art, and having her whole life um, kind of warp and buckle around her, this might be the comic for you. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me deep 
deep in the Belizean jungle on a on a compound in my bungalow, laying down, ass down, face up, just just getting the full force of a heavy Chipotle lunch <laughs> just steamrolled into my face. Just full, full corn, just visible, just cor- like full corn pieces, fully visible, undigested, right into my tummy. And uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can get the uh, Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency patches so you too can be a, a junior sleuth. We want, do we want to uh, announce this? Yeah, I think so. We've been talking a lot about what the uh, what the Deep Cuts fan base, the ever-growing, the ever-growing Deep Cuts fan base, what they are going to be called. And I think right now we're, we're leaning towards junior sleuths Unless there's a riot and people are like, no, we want to be called John McAfee mouth shitters. Then that's what you'll be called. Honestly, that's not bad. Um, yeah. So uh, you can be a junior sleuth yourself and you can get a, a mystery treehouse investigation agency patch off of my website in my store or Dave's or deepcutspod.com in our official merch store. Uh, also a couple things. One thing, uh, first ever and it's just because it occurred to me earlier today and i just have to say it first ever correction during the wiggles episode i off the top of my head improvised what i thought was a funny joke observation whenever we listened to the song by the cockroaches i said that it sounded like if crowded houses music was written by the Charmin bear which i thought was hilarious but I just realized earlier today that I was mistaken and the Charmin bear or in actuality, the Charmin bears are the cartoon bears from the Charmin toilet paper commercials. What I was trying to say was the snuggle bear, the cute little stuffed animal bear that like falls in onto the freshly laundered blankets. And he's like, oh, that's who I was trying to say. I was trying to say the snuggle bear, not the Charmin bear. Thank you to the legions of people who've written in complaining about this. Um, and thank you, Andrew, for being a big enough person to issue a correction on a grievous mistake that legions and scores of people are irate about. I wouldn't feel right if I didn't make amends for my terrible indiscretions. Um, I just w- I wouldn't respect myself. I know that the listeners wouldn't respect me. Uh, so just I had to do it. I had to I had to be brave. Um, but also in a in in more positive news, uh, another first. So we had somebody on uh, on Reddit, and I, I wouldn't necessarily call them a listener. I don't think they listened to the show. They just they saw um, they saw a post about the Laz Rojas episode. And let me let me pull this up. Was it in fact Laz Rojas? Uh, I wish. Uh, so somebody somebody on Reddit came across a post about the Laz Rojas episode. And they uh, reached out and they sh- they showed me that uh, their band, which their band is called Quilt Club, and they actually did a song about Laz Rojas. And so I said, oh, that's cool. Can I play this on the show? And they said, yeah. So um, the band is called Quilt Club. And he's, it's kind of funny to me, but he's, 
he said that they made it an entire concept album about Kurds, the cowardly dog, but that one of the songs on the album is about Laz Rojas instead of Kurds, the cowardly dog, which I don't know. I don't even know if that was a, a just a joke he was making, but apparently they have an album that's a concept album about Kurds, the cowardly dog. But one of the songs on the album, just for some reason, they just were like, let's just put a song about Laz Rojas on here instead. But uh, to play us out today, I'm going to play this song by Quilt Club, and it's called, uh, it's just called Laz.
I love that. That was great. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's funny that I don't. I I hadn't checked Reddit in a while, and this person had uh, commented this months ago, and I just noticed it for the first time like a week or so ago. The question is, should I send this to Laz? Definitely. Yeah, I never know with that guy. I never know if he'll like it or hate it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. He's. I don't. I. I. I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but you and I have talked about it considerably in real life in that he's in a really dark place right now. Um, for context, Lazaro Huss is an artist that we've talked about on the show. We did a whole episode about him. He's a person who wants to be an actor, writer, director, and in the 90s made a VHS where he played over 100 characters, men, women, children, all ethnicities. And uh, it kind of went viral within tape trading circles in the 2000s as an oddity. And we did a whole episode about him. And recently he is obsessed by this project called Absolutely Smashing, which is a spy franchise where he wants to play all of the characters within a James Bond-esque universe, the men and the women. I guess it's actually kind of, it's, it's actually kind of like the Avengers, you know, it's like Steed and Peel, where it's a, it's a two header, you know, two hander. It's a, you know, like a sexy Vavavoom spy woman and a dashing James Bondy style gentleman. And, um, he's been photoshopping himself to look like these characters over the past, I'd say year, very intensively. He's been posting on Facebook multiple times a day, five to 10 different images of the him as these characters. And his current series right now is uh, Darla, the, the, the Emma, Emma Peel style character. Um, he's been doing mock magazine cover photo shoots as Darla. So he'll post like a, you know, a Us Weekly magazine cover from the 60s. And Darla is the the center focus of it. And he designs them and he, you know, takes photos that he's shot of himself sometimes upwards of 10 years ago as these characters and photoshops new hairdos on them and, uh, you know, onto women's bodies. And he does them through, through the decades. So, you know, he'll do a 60s series and then a 70s series and then an 80s series and so on and so forth. Juxtaposing this, which is a very interesting and kind of sad in a creatively frustrated way uh, story, juxtaposing this against irate political Facebook status updates about how COVID is a hoax and Biden is ruining our country. And it's just like... And Antifa is the one that stormed the Capitol and framed... Yeah, it's just off the deep end, man. Like, yeah, it's it's very, very sad to me. Like, I just feel like that guy just needs a friend and he's just not capable of making one. And uh, I mean, that that, that kind of goes to the little the little the little wrap up of, of the episode where it's like, you know, we talked with we talked with Zach on the Laz Rojas episode and he was like, I, I like got him acting jobs like I got him like for sure, like you're cast in this my 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 friend will just let you be in it you get paid scale or whatever to be in this commercial and he just like blew them off and it's like he just insists that it has to be a certain way like i will only make absolutely smashing for 20 million dollars and i can't i can't earn 20 million dollars from working on this commercial so it's just a distraction and a waste of my time so no i'm not going to do it and he's like so hyper focused on this exact doing things in this exact way that they have to be that he it ends up just like completely it's a self-sabotaging he you know he could take the the acting job 
And he could parlay that into a consistent gig getting acting jobs uh, on commercials and things like that to, you know, pay the bills so he could get a fucking apartment or something like that and save up some money to buy a some kind of modest camera like a like a like a black magic pocket cinema camera or something, you know, one of these one of these cameras that are like a couple grand and you can like make a fucking movie on them because they're you know, they, they they're so good quality for the for the price. And uh, instead, he just like stays living in abject homeless poverty with his mom because it has to be exactly the way he wants it to be or else it's nothing yeah it's really fucking sad it's really sad um and part of me is like oh man i want to reach out to him and the other part of me is like fuck that shit i don't want any of this baggage I'm Dave Baker part two. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was literally going to make the same joke that now there needs to be like a second ending. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com and Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, Anywhere you get your podcasts and the Dead Boy Detectives.